Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Sorry about that little false start there. This is Magic Without Fears, the Hermetic Podcast with your host, Frater RC. And today my guest is Matt of uh, Spear, Spear of Fire Tarot. And uh, he'll be here any second. A little description while we're waiting. Um, Spear of Fire is a tarot practice aimed at uncovering personal insights and achieving agency through the symbolic visual language of the tarot. Tarot, as it's practiced here, is not fortune-telling or predicting the future. Rather, our focus is on understanding your present in new ways and using self-awareness to shape the future you want to bring into being. Are you there, Matt? All right, can you hear me? Yeah, oh, you put on video. I thought we weren't doing video. There we go. Oh no, I just that was a that was a mistake. <laughs> ah, no, no worries. I was I was all up for doing video. I just got a new shirt and tie, so but you know we'll look snazzy in the future together, perhaps. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. When I yeah, you just went to the gym. I hear. I, I it seems from your Instagram you've done gone to the gym before. I have gone to the gym, you know, once or twice, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, lately it doesn't feel like I have because uh, this is kind of, I've only been back for a few days. I got my, um, my Bill Gates uh, 5G microchip installed. Um, oh yeah. I was joking about having that installed or was I? Oh, 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 maybe I really <laughs> so, have it installed. Do you think we're far away from that? Like, I know people think it's a, a joke, but like, he actually has talked about it, hasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't. At this point, I don't put anything into the realm of pure fantasy. Uh, yeah, right. But... We've we fully we're fully in the simulation now, right, baby? It's like yeah, exactly. Um, Jesus, I I don't think my COVID shot was 
the first installation of the microchip, but I could be wrong. You know, maybe it just hasn't, maybe it's still lying dormant for a while. No, I'm sure it's just as, no, that doesn't, I, I, I don't, yeah, no, I think when there's a microchip, it's going to be like something sexy, like Neuralink or, or getting contacts or glasses that provide augmented reality. I think they're going to make it really appealing to people. Right. Right. Or at least they're going to try that attack first, I would say. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure to sure to work. You know, um, yeah. the world's changing, right? It's it's not the world I grew up in anymore. And 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 I'm all I'm always have to be aware that people are open and excited about things that would have horrified us back in the 80s and 90s. But now it's like, oh, no, that's cool. It's like, OK, right. OK. You know, we won't be here when that stuff really gets going. So what can we do? just to enjoy yeah. the lives we have, if we can. Right, right. Which, I mean, you know, if people look back three or 400 years ago and saw any of the stuff we're doing now, some of which we're actually excited about, they would be horrified as well, you know? I'm sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's let's uh, dive into your tarot practice, because I'm, I'm guessing that's sort of why you reached out and wanted to do a podcast with me. It probably didn't have to do with your passion for Bill Gates. <laughs> well, you know, I guess it, it's kind of interesting. Um, I enjoyed listening and I enjoyed talking to you. And when you, uh, or, you know, just in on Instagram or whatever, not talking, talking is the first time. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, the idea of it actually kind of made me a little nervous because um, a lot of the people that you have on, I, I find, are people who have this very deep history uh, with whatever it is they're talking about, tarot or magic or any of this stuff on your that your show covers. Um, and I don't to the to that degree. Um, so it was a little intimidating. Um, but right. there's this. So there's two things. One, you know, I, I, I'm a human being and I have been one for a few decades at least. So Wonderful. you have a certain amount of <laughs> depth of experience there. That, that wins might... you a participation trophy. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person. I can, I can, be a, I can participate. Um, but, you know, I also think that there's, there's two things. One is that sometimes it can be helpful to listen to the perspective of somebody who isn't, who is still kind of like in the beginning stages of the, what they're doing. Uh, as I love it. Like yeah, I love that. Well, I, I did talk to uh, Jim, um, archived metal core, and he hasn't started his magical practice yet. And I had a great conversation with him. He and I've talked actually a few times just as friends since then. And the beginning of the journey to me is actually more exciting than the middle or end. Mm, mm, that's and interesting. I, I enjoy haven't talking I about it. Yeah, I haven't listened to that. I'll have to. I'll have to check that out. You you put out a lot of content, so I don't get to get get as much of it as I'd like. But I didn't uh, notice. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that they've shut down my martial arts class and made going outside illegal. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, it's not quite that bad, and and you can still go to bars and stuff and meet up with people, but people don't want to do that because they are scared. Right. Or they're, I don't, whether they're scared of the virus or the government, it's a mixture of both. Um, mm -hmm. Plus, we like to, you know, the, the crazier the states gets, the more conservative Canada gets, just so that we can be like, indict you guys and be like, look at those reckless fuckers. 
they're just so horrible. But if you guys are chill, then we get a little crazy. So we're, we've always been the counterbalance to you guys. Yeah, I have seen that. There's been, you know, um, we just, Canadians just love to shit on Americans. <laughs> right. At the same time, we're like, I think we love shitting on you guys well, too. We, but... and, and we love you shitting on us. Like we probably are the reason blame Canada became so popular as a song. Cause we love, right. <laughs> we loved it. The flappy heads. And, right? and all of that stuff we love it we love it we, we we've got that enough of that sort of uh british empire self uh effacing sense of humor that right. uh, yeah it's like yeah man like roll with it make fun of us yeah well and you're also the closest thing to brits we have on our continent so we have to continue to like dig in a little bit you know yeah hold you hold your feet to the fire so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, deep down, we're we're even taught in in high school to be sort of aware and cognizant of the fact that um, the reason we're safe as a people and a nation and a country is because of you. I mean, otherwise we would have been invaded long ago, or probably had a First Nation uprising uh, to take back their land, which honestly most of us would probably support. <laughs> if right. we supported anything actively, we're, we're often just a little bit too passive. I mean, we had, we had, we had, two, we had two, three, I asked, I was in California, right? Northern California when the BLM protests happened and I talked to friends and family back home. I'm like, do you guys, are you guys having protests? They're like, yeah, we had two, three days. I was like, what happened then? They're like, then they were told to stop. People have to get to work. You can't block traffic. We got right. exorbitant rent to pay. Oh yeah, that's the thing. It's the practical stuff. I, I, we're all just so yeah. kept busy keeping the wheels going all the yeah. time. And it's it's cold up here, so people just want to get to work, uh, make their money, buy their food, just go to the go to the gym, actually go outdoors. You know, everyone, especially in Vancouver, is so fitness aware and healthy. They like everyone walks around almost wearing mountain gear on the street right. to let you know that they're ready for the bush. <laughs> like, yeah, what did you do this morning? I ran the gross grind, I ran the grind, <laughs> it's good. You know, and they, they do that. They run up this mountain, this like the closest, smallest mountain, but it's, it's, a, it's a hike. I've done it a few times throughout my childhood, but it used to be that if you climbed up the mountain, you could take the, uh, you know, one of those things on a wire that it goes up and down the mountain to transport people. What's that called? Oh, like the ski line. Um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but it's like a big con closed container that like 30 people, 40 people can fit in or more. And it's really, oh, right, right, right. It used like to be that if you climb, yeah, it, uh, I forget the name of those things. It used to be if you climbed up the mountain, up the grind, um, and it is just a big switchback up the whole freaking mountain. If you climbed up it, you could go down that thing for free. And then they eventually, so people, so many people got into climbing the grind that they had to start take that away and, and actually charge you to go down. Um, and it's a crazy little thing because when it first uh, dislodges from from its embankment at the top of the mountain, the first like 30 feet is a straight drop on this cable. So you actually just like plummet free fall and I remember as a kid going skiing all the time it was terrifying but it, it is sort of fun eventually when you do it a bunch and you realize you don't die I think someone did fall out the side door once and uh <laughs> but you know <laughs> then they added like a rope or something <laughs> yeah. like it never occurred to him to put a rope like, dude, we have we have this we have these two massive suspension bridges. You can see one of them featured in the intro credits of the original Crow TV show from back in the day. 
Um, so oh, there are these two okay. huge yeah. suspension bridges, the Capilano and the and the Lynn Valley. I grew up in Lynn Valley, and the Lynn Valley one's a little smaller, but they're both sort of the Lynn Valley one's much more bouncy and rickety, and it's like a two three hundred foot drop down to the water below, and the water's just like a low running river most of the time with rocks and one day a woman was holding her baby over the side, like standing there in the middle of the bridge and people got on and she either accidentally or not accidentally dropped her baby all the way down, oh right? God. And it was pretty much assumed she was doing this as a, a thing, you know, it's horrific. But get this, the baby yeah. was fine. Oh my God. Oh my God, she totally went to jail. Thank God. Wow. Right? Can you imagine being that baby growing up, be like, yo, my mom dropped me a few hundred feet into this rocky, low running riverbed. And yeah, I was fine because fuck her. Yeah, right. <laughs> fuck that person. She wasn't yeah. my real mom. My real mom's get, the know, angel that caught me. Right. <laughs> that's insane. I but, thought you'd I mean, like that story. It's got to be a lot of pressure to grow up as that person. Like, what am I here to do, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you sort of hope they never actually find out. No one ever tells them. Like, they don't need that right. trauma. They are already a miracle. A double miracle. Right. All babies are miracles. That one's a real miracle. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. So uh, do, you have a, do you have a, you have a new tarot practice that you have a Instagram page for, Spear of Fire Tarot? Yeah. I liked one of these... Uh, quotes that your I think it was your teacher said to you about tarot being uh, an aid to helping our own self-understanding more than mm. fiction or what's the quote I'll find it but yeah it's um you say something I can, yeah I can pull it up it um he said that tarot was just a tool for thinking yeah okay. a tool for thinking that's so nice and simple I really like that yeah yeah and that's what I, and that's what kind of why I wanted to sort of share it with other people. Um, you know, when I try to explain to people what it is that I do or how I use it, and there, you know, there are different ways that people use it. Um, it's, it allows me personally to arrive at things that I wouldn't easily arrive at on my own without any prompting. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do that when I'm using a client or when I'm working with somebody else is like, it's not necessarily that I'm going to tell you anything you don't know, or I'm going to spy into the future or, um, you know, or see things that are hidden beyond doors. But there are a lot of things that people know, but they don't know that they know. And I find the tarot is a really fantastic and powerful tool for accessing that. Um, Mm -hmm. it is you know you can see the cards as these magical doorways into hidden knowledge of higher worlds or you could see our own minds and spirits ourselves as doorways like our mm. thoughts are already aren't they part of this great sea of mind as some mm. of the ancient texts would say and so in that sense the tarot could be seen less as a tool or gnosis and more as weights to build that gnostic muscle in our own hearts and souls oh i like that yeah um I think about these things a lot like what's the best interpretation that will aid our our ability to you know really develop 
them, you know, as practices, because mm -hmm. people find it hard to be motivated to get past that burning point that I, I guess if you're a, a weightlifter, you understand you got to, you always got to get to that edge and push beyond it, not give up. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, I think the weights analogy is really good because I find that consistency is one of the real benefits that I found personally with having a consistent with a tarot practice is that you have your good days and your bad days and it's like you see things that are just like <laughs> sometimes you're just like the doors are wide open and you're seeing clear out and you have all this clarity and other times you're like what the hell does this mean um and it's the same way as exercise it's the same way as any practice you consistently practice and you put yourself in a position to have good days if you don't consistently practice they never happen you know um but you flex i like that idea of flexing that muscle so you can accrue a deeper awareness or understanding that is then able to be used um practically mm -hmm. You know. And you know, there's there's always that part. Um, I always noticed when I first got into weightlifting in first year of college, there's this part where you're like, you're really building strength and and some size, but then there's like this dip where it seems to go <laughs> away for a while. That's a thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and you're like, wait, what's and most happening? Most people stop in the dip. Start, even if you start working out more, you might still be in that dip. And maybe mm -hmm. diet's a factor or something like that, or taking days off is important, just as important as the days on, right? But really, sure. it is about continuing through the journey, as opposed to like pivoting to some other activity or practice, right? Oh, you know, I'm bored with tarot, time to move on to crystals. Right, right. And yeah, exactly. Um, That's something I, that I beginners got to remember if they really want to, I think, get the real fruits of the labor. Mm, mm, yeah, exactly. And, and um, that's why I think it has been so meaningful in my life. Um, and also why it seems to be something that I, you know, feel this uh, compelled to sort of share with other people. Um, which well, I was, you know, like I said, I was a little hesitant about that, but. You no, know. I'm, I'm really glad you uh, reached out. It's, uh, I like talking to new people and getting to know, know new people and uh, yeah, their practices. I think that's uh, to not take advantage of that opportunity is, is, would be the real waste of this uh, internet land that we have at our fingertips. Right, right. Because yeah. I mean, I live on the other side of the continent and another, you know, in another country, the likelihood of us bumping into each other and having a conversation in a coffee shop, while it would probably be cool, is pretty <laughs> yeah well, yeah you know. where where are you exactly uh i'm in new england um new hampshire new to be exact. i thought yeah. that was canada new england yeah <laughs> it, it, it's very similar in a lot of ways uh, we'll have to annex you eventually probably yeah there are, i mean parts of new england maine might as well be canada like as See, far as i would i would trade ontario and, and alberta for maine and new england <laughs> we just do a swap <laughs> Right. I feel like that's the part of Canada that most people, most Americans would not want. Like, you just want more of New York? Like, no, I don't think I would. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Though I, I do wish I had gone to New York and seen my friends and seen seen it 
you know, in its heyday. I feel like not having gone to New York before now is sort of like when I turned down my friend's offer to go with her to New Orleans before Katrina. I feel sort yeah. of like well, this has been a New York's version of Katrina. I can imagine, and, yeah. Uh, and it just probably won't be the same for a while. Right. I haven't been to New Orleans since Katrina. I went when I was like a teenager. Um, no. And I just, I'm like, I wonder what it's like. <laughs> you know, like, are any of the things that I, you know, remember from my trip there even still there? Is any of that flavor there? I feel like well, New York is still going to be New York. It's just going to be different. It's, you know, New York yeah. has gone through so many metamorphoses over its history. I mean, even. You it know, used to be called New Amsterdam. Right. Yeah. And, then yeah. they illegalized pot and had to change the name. <laughs> yes, that, that's that's that's, what that's the real history. That's real the history. real history. That's some Graham Hancock shit right there, man. Yeah, well, he he got it direct from the Pleiades, so you gotta trust Graham Hancock. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know she posts a lot of the Marseille uh, deck, uh, which is cool to see. The Marseille deck's uh, an old one. Is that yeah. one of your favorites, would you say? Yeah, and so I guess I should tell you a little bit how I ended up getting into this stuff. Oh, yeah. Tell me a story, brother. Tell me a story. Yeah, tell you the story. Um, me a yarn. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll, I'll rip you a yarn. Um, so I grew up very religious, um, which, you know, is probably why I didn't, you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, I was given a tarot deck when I was 14 by somebody. I read a book about my hair. I was not allowed to go anywhere near any of that stuff growing Devilry. up. Um, what's that? Devilry. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Devilry. You're going to be in contact with all this stuff. And um, so I had a really intense, uh, I was a Jehovah's Witness. So that was, you know, this very intense little community of um, sort of, you know, intense Christians, I guess you'd say. I've, I've uh, had so a few. Very close, Jovi friends. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, so yeah. you know a little bit about it. Ah, uh, yeah. Some and, were, some were shunned, some weren't. Some were somewhere in between. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, the, of the people who I am still connected with, that describes us all pretty well. Um, from that group, I'm I'm in the shunned category. I have some oh. friends in the in between category. Um, I'm very so, sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's it it's it's rough. Um, there's That's certain things about it. That I, that I miss, you know, like you, you grow up immersed in a community and even if you have mixed feelings or, you know, negative connotations with a lot of it, there's still like the connections you have with the people are still really meaningful um, and the, the family dynamics and all that stuff that make it very difficult. I just had a, this experience um, kind of along these lines, uh, a good friend of mine growing up he was still, you know, active in the whole witness thing. So I don't have anything to do with him. He, um, his father died and I found out about it. So I was like, wow, you know, like this is a guy that I grew up with and, and spent all this time with. He was kind of like a, after my own father died, he had kind of been sort of like a little bit of a, you know, tried to be a father figure for me and all that kind of stuff when I was a teenager. And, um, so I'm like, man, what do I do about this? Like I, and so like i have this awkward thing of like hey can you send me the zoom code like this that's such a 2020 thing anyway like 
Yeah. Oh, I've got the funeral. I got to get the Zoom code for the funeral. And uh, so I have this experience of like, what you know, like watching this thing and like everybody's on video and I'm like, I'm muted and off video. So, like, <laughs> so I'm not stressing out any of the witnesses who have to look at me and be like, Oh, you know, oh, there's that man. Look at him now. He's got a big beard. He's, um, he's ripped. The, his uh, yeah. <laughs> so you can tell the devil devil loves him more than Jesus. Otherwise he wouldn't look so good. Right. <laughs> right. He's, he's given over to the, to the flesh. Jesus wants us all pot bellied and pasty. <laughs> so so yeah i mean that stuff like that is a little more awkward um but you know at, at the same time i guess at this point in my life it's just kind of like hey you know you have these experiences and they are what they are and you can take from them something useful or you can get angry about it or you know you can kind of have your moments of both and i guess i probably have my moments of both but in in the long run, I'm happy that I, you know, had some of the experiences that I had and learned from some of the experiences I'm not crazy about. Um, and, you know, I still have my days where I get pissed off about it, but for the most part, you know, I'm kind of at peace with it. Yeah, no missing family can be can be rough. Yeah, it can. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, so that was kind of my milieu that I was growing up in um, when I kind of hit my mid-20s and I got out of the whole witness thing. Um, I went through the phase that a lot of religious people do growing up who leave it where they're just not at all interested in religion or spirituality. I never went like full on. I never became like the like hardcore Sam Harris kind of guy, you know, like some people do. Uh, but I just didn't have much taste for it, didn't have much interest um, in spirituality at all. and for I was kind of but at the same time there was this part of me that that also reacted to the like very hardcore you know like new atheist kind of stuff in a way that didn't sit right with me I was like no there's something these people are missing something too they're missing something just as much as the fundamentalists are um and I got into like quantum <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. You know, I got into science. I got into philosophy. I got into evolution and like all this stuff I wasn't supposed to look at when I was yeah. a kid. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, like there's there's a uh, this actually does make sense when I get the real version of it and not the straw man that, you know, my church book said, of you know, like, oh, you it's dumb to think we evolved from monkeys, and you know, whatever. And so I got into all that stuff. And then um, many, many years later, you know, there's a whole lot of in between there, which we, I guess we can talk about if you want to. But the uh, what ended up happening a few years ago was I got into a conversation, uh, you know, online. This, again, like we were saying, there's a lot of where you connect with people nowadays. Um, and somebody mentioned meditations on the tarot in this context of whatever conversation we were talking about. And he's like, oh, you should you should check out this book. And I was like, oh, and I looked it up. And I was like, well, that seems kind of interesting. So I'll, I'll, I'll get that. And, um, you know, I've read some intense or deep or weird stuff, but like I just had never encountered anything like that. Meditations on um, the tarot is uh, next level. Yeah, in any genre, right? Like, it, yeah. I mean, there's a right. reason it was endorsed by a cardinal 
and there's a there's a photo famous photo of a, a i think a two volume hardcover version first edition of it on pope john paul ii's desk yeah like, mm -hmm. with him there and uh it's <laughs> right so it's not uh, and this is before photoshop right <laughs> yeah yeah it's not like someone like snuck in there and was like quick grab a photo like grab it grab it. no 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 he he's he read it he read it um i yeah. talked to friends in the vatican when i first got into it 20 years ago and uh yeah it's it's catholicism as i've said before and what as some of the theologians will say is the best polytheism you can sort of actually believe almost whatever you want. Just go to a different council within the Vatican and, and you're good to go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for, for if you're talking Christian polytheism, which is sounds contradictory, but it's really not. Yeah. Which I'm coming to realize, uh, you know. Um, yeah. It's Catholicism is not like North American evangelicalism or fundamentalism at all. People sometimes uh, don't realize that. Right. I think what happens that is that there are a lot of Catholics, North American Catholics, who, or maybe I shouldn't say a lot, that's probably unfair, but there are enough that do approach it in that sort of yeah. American way <laughs> that yeah. we tend to approach everything, um, North American way, I should say, um, that maybe people get a skewed idea of it from seeing that. I don't know. Does that seem fair to you? Of your For sure. I mean, yeah. well, America is, uh, I think a lot of people point out that as a newer country, it just, well, Oscar Wilde, if you want to get wild with it, Oscar Wilde said it, <laughs> said the same thing, but in a wild way. He said it's the only, America is the only country to go from barbarism to decadence without civilization in between. Mm, right, right, right. I remember that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's, a, that's a wild quote of course and uh it's, it's so wild so <laughs> so wild um but um you know there's something to that i mean europeans have just been doing this a lot longer so they're a bit more chill about some of the stuff that we all get rambunctious about especially yeah. when it comes to intellectual certitude yes what is or what should be you know we're like this is how it should be this is how it is and they're like well sometimes maybe not always. We've we've been there. We did that. We did that lots of times, you know. Right. And I think that that was one of the things that spoke to me the most about reading Meditations on the Tarot was, and it's almost kind of like, I almost feel like these, the thought, some of these thoughts are sort of like buried so you could almost miss them, where he's basically saying like, I'm talking about things that are spiritually and subjectively true in my experience. I'm not talking about the world of objective reality. Like sometimes there's some overlap and he'll address that, but yeah. that it's not exactly the same thing. Um, you you get this really interesting point of view of someone who was an anthroposophist trained by Rudolf Steiner's wife, also a Martinist of the, one of the Martinist orders. Mm -hmm. And I just, I didn't know that, but I recently found that out. That's why he addresses the letters to dear unknown friend that's apparently a martinist thing um uh -huh, who, okay. who became a catholic convert um right. and we all know what those are like i was one for for a minute there <laughs> uh and so you have the this real world occult practical experience in spiritual techniques fused with uh the fruits of the victorian occult revolution coming into a, a struggle to see how that fits within the 
very rich history of Catholic theology. And mm. it is a rich history indeed, everything from like the apocatastasis of origin, right? Universal salvation to mm. the uh, interplay of Gnostic doctrines as they have wove in and out. And then you have Augustine. I mean, there's just so much richness there. And I just named a few. I mean, not to mention you jump forward and you have the writings of every, all the, of course, the, the hardcore occultists like Ramon Lull and Mirandola and Ficino, but then you got Meister Eckhart and St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. And just the list goes on and on of all these mystics and thinkers who are just really doing their best to reconcile themselves with, I don't know, life and death maybe, and, mm -hmm. and how to live in right relationship with ourselves, each other, and nature. It's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a well. Yeah, the most important questions that humans face, you know, like wrestle with those things. That's yeah. our journey. That's our journey. Right. Some of us enjoy doing that with our days there instead of uh, shopping. Right. <laughs> well, and, you know, I guess the other thing that was really kind of fascinating about my experience of reading that book was. Yeah, um, I noticed your spine was well worn. So I was like, oh, this guy isn't just posting this on his pic pictogram. He's like, oh, no. read this oh, I, book. I, I, yeah, I've read it. And I've, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying that that makes me any sort of an expert or anything, but it, it um and i've you know i've i've read it and i've revisited it but the um experts are overrated ignore them exactly that i 100 percent agree on almost every topic um the but the thing that i appreciated or the thing that i the, the thing that it felt for me was like it wasn't like i thought that i was understanding everything i was like man i'm maybe getting 40% of this, <laughs> you know, uh, that's kind of how I felt, um, yeah. but I thought, okay, the fact that I'm interested in this is a, contains a message in itself, and I'm, like, compelled to keep reading it, compelled to keep reading it, um, and I sort of had this feeling, like, it felt, I, I guess the closest thing I can say is it felt like an initiation of, oh, okay, wow. this is something you're supposed to do. You're supposed to spend time looking at this shit and figuring it out, and that'll be enough for you. You know, like you can do that. You, you can. There was like, a there was a, a few adepts who, when they they left uh, our order and Temple to Hooty, uh, when I met up with them over the next few years, they would re they would say that that's the only book they were still studying, and they would refer to it as their grade material, as the adept their adept grade material. Uh, the only thing that they felt was valuable and worth still working through. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's a, in many ways, it's a book not for beginners, but I don't think it will hurt, do you any harm to read it at any point. It's just one of those books. Well, I'm on my second copy. The first one just got too used. <laughs> it fell apart. <laughs> it fell apart. And towards the end, it was, it was uh, absconded with, but um, yeah, actually, when I bought my second copy at Banyan Books, it was during the brief period of time when uh, Jason Louv, the well-known occultist of magic.me, was working there. He didn't know who I was when I bought it, but I, and I didn't really know who he was because he, <laughs> he hadn't blown up yet, but I, I did recognize him. He was working in Vancouver with this uh, cult or chaotic, chaos magic uh, group or cell <laughs> that my yeah. other buddy uh, Eduardo was a part of and uh, I did an interview with him but yeah so 
I, Jason Liu sold me my second copy of Meditations on the Tarot once upon a time. That's pretty. That's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess this is a small world, though, right? In a way, <laughs> it's a small world. Us nut jobs got to stick together. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it, it's cool that you describe it as an initiation. I, I'm not surprised. I think the author would would say that he sort of intended it that way. Of course, he's, it's famously written by Anonymous, but for those who don't know, his name was Valentin Tomberg. But if you want to find it online, search Meditations on the Tarot by Anonymous. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, and so that kind of, like, kick-started me, you know, um, I, getting into. And I kind of around the same time, maybe a little bit later, I also started... Um, Kind of serendipitously um, reading like John Michael Greer um, in a very different context. Like I was more just reading his like commentary and political stuff. Um, his commentary but, of political stuff. Sorry, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Like I he, didn't know writes, John Michael Greer writes Greer writes political stuff. Yeah, he writes a lot of just like current events. Uh, his take on it, which doesn't always line up with mine, but I still find it interesting. You know, I guess that's why I find it interesting. Yeah. Um, and um, he was, he has this kind of like weird ecology focus and, and stuff that's I'm interested in anyway. Well, he's the king of the Druids. Yeah. <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a solid Golden Dawn background. Um, right. So that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a treasure. He's a treasure. Yeah, he's, he's great. I mean, you know, like I said, I, it's, I guess one of the things, like I said, I'm not necessarily the expert on this stuff, but from seeing and experiencing and reading other things, I, I think I kind of get a feel for when something is worth looking more closely at anyway. Um, huh. And that that is where I kind of was like, okay, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna look at this other aspect of this guy's, um, who this is, and the bigger aspect of who he is, really in a lot, at least in his work and public stuff. Um, and, yeah, so that's when I just started kind of like, I got more serious about tarot then, and I got started into doing others, you know, more, more spiritual practices. Um, and yeah, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting journey so far. Are there any of, of Greer's magical books that uh, stand out for you or that you were influenced by? Um, well, I have his uh, learning ritual magic. Um, and is that good like, yeah yeah it's the um well it's that's the more like golden dawn centered one mm -hmm. like that's one of his earlier ones um i haven't read really a lot of his druid stuff I, it's interesting to me but i also kind of have this i don't want to like i kind of want to get my you know no spend a little time with one thing before i start hopping around to different things for sure yeah, no, kind I of like what we were talking about with weightlifting. Like, if you're if you're like, oh, I'm going to be a powerlifter. Oh, I'm going to be a bodybuilder. Oh, I'm going to be a CrossFitter. Oh, I'm going to be a this. Like, you just you end up sucking at all of them. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know. Well, once so, you're once you're uh, once you figure out how a gym works uh, or a weight room works, it's actually a lot of fun, right? Mm -hmm. I I, uh, I I've gotten a few friends over the years into weightlifting especially when we've had a gym in the building or something i'm like look just come in with me it's really fun and then they see how once you once you know how to count reps and 
and, and you know do the different numbers based on what you're sort of looking for and then you see your body respond it's it's just it's it's exciting it can be addictive actually right you know, and then you right. do the sauna, the hot sauna and the wet sauna after and the hot tub. it's just a whole wonderful thing and you feel great afterwards yeah exactly yeah yeah and that's the thing it's it's that practice and you know kind of like um for me it's it's i think the two the way the um well you know it's it's as above so below right so there's no there's there's a reason that those things correlate um but i feel like spiritual and physical and emotional you know levels practices there's something really rewarding about just, you know, not necessarily trying to get focused on the destination. It's just like, hey, the process itself is actually pretty rewarding, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would, a, what would one of your rituals sort of look like if you were to describe a ritual? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Um, well, since okay. you're talking to me as a new person, like you sure. said, and not one of these, I've been doing it since the dawn of time, people. Um, I think that like what would be interesting for other other people to hear is is how does some how, what's that look like? Yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, the I sort of have like a daily minimum, <laughs> and I when I first get up in the morning, I will spend a little bit of time just kind of um, being quiet, um, thinking, you know, kind of getting myself together. Um, and then I will spend a few minutes in prayer, which is kind of, that's kind of a newer thing, but it's felt very, um, I guess it's sort of like a return home for somebody yeah. in a very religious environment to be, and then for years didn't engage in that at all, but it, that has felt like something that, um, I've, has been really good for me, um, in the last year or so. You've, re um, so you've that, reclaimed prayer on your own terms. Yes. Yeah. Uh, amen. Thank you. <laughs> amen. <laughs> um, and so then, you know, after that, I will usually do um, LBRP. I'll do Middle Pillar. 
and I'll try to spend some time in meditation. Oh, wow. Um, I had no idea you were doing a GD ritual work. That's uh, now we've, we've just opened up a whole other terrain with me. Haven't you? I have. Yeah. I was, I wasn't even sure of like, man, should I even tell him? But I got why, him. why wouldn't you tell me? Oh, I know because you know, like it's that intimidation thing. It's like, uh, you know, which I'm, I'm, I'm learning to get over. Do uh, I need to, I, do I need to act even more absurd on my podcast to make people? No, you don't. I that, think I, I think I've hit the, the very outer edge of absurdity. If you've heard much of, <laughs> you know, true. that's, that's not by accident. Like it's, right. it's by design. <laughs> I, it's not like I, I didn't take look take a look around at what how occultists and experts or masters were behaving and say hmm, maybe maybe something different would be nice. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny that you say that because even with all my hesitance, one of the reasons that I actually started, you know, because it was kind of like I was doing tarot readings for myself, I was doing them for close friends, and you know, all this, and I'm like, well, there's something here, like. First, I had to get to a level of just basic competency where I wasn't going to like rip somebody off. Like I just didn't want to be that person. But even there, I was like, okay, do you really want to do this? Why do you want to do this? And, and I looked around and I thought, okay, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being like a witchy girl, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Like, but I'm not that. I'm not uh, that. Uh, You're a witchy guy. So, yeah, yeah, okay. but even I'm not even that witchy a guy. I mean, I guess in some ways, you know, like I don't know, I like Fleetwood Mac. Does that count? Like, <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> like, I'm just, you know, yeah, I like Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> I love him as a guitar player. I don't oh. know if I love him as a personality. But oh, I don't know anything about his. his personality when i when i listen when i pay attention to musicians it's rarely to it's rarely beyond their music it's like oh yeah i've been yeah. in the music scene like those people are fucking weird right exactly and, and i, I know, feel I'm like the less you know about them almost yeah almost yeah like the <laughs> absolutely i had the un unfortunate disfortune misfortune misfortune of meeting some of my heroes and uh uh <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I, you know, so, I don't know. It, it is what it is, right? It is what right. it is. I, I had no choice with the main one because he literally called me at home out of the blue. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, hello, hey, who's this? Hey. This is Jeff Martin. It's like, what? What? Oh, wow. What? From, from, and then he snickers sort of like from the, the tea party. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. You're my favorite musician. Right. <laughs> you know what are you doing how'd you get this number uh, right I preferred it from someone in the oto in ontario if i wanted to seriously get into hermeticism and all that stuff it's like oh shit oh wow okay and it started a started a friendship he didn't have time to really do the work uh, as i would lead someone through it and i told him that but it was it was very cool to to connect with him and and have an acquaintance and friendship over the years and get hugs at shows and you know be able to take ten friends backstage and be like yeah no I actually know him and uh, oh that's awesome but I wouldn't want to meet like Maynard James Keenan I think like from Tool right I, I don't know what I would say to him I'd just be like I love your music um, right. maybe I guess I could be like do you want to do some DMT <laughs> or, or drink some of your wine I could do that but like. I, do I, I sort of, I, I'd sort of rather he just get back to making music for me, <laughs> you right, know, that's right, what I like right. from him. 
And that's yes. what I like from most of the artists that I love. It's like, yeah, just do your thing and do more of it and better. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I do, I sort of like, um, I do like knowing about a person's process because I find that it can help in my own creative endeavors. Like to know, like growing up and learning to play guitar and like finding out about how people approached it, that was really helpful. But like, I don't really want to know the biographical stuff all the time. You know, I feel like that kind of like yeah. takes some of the luster off of it or knowing whether they were a good person or a bad person or whatever, you know, however you wanted to find that. But, you know, well, yeah, I've been I've been told by some people you can't listen to this or that musician like David Bowie because he, you know, slept with a 14 or 16 year old girl. And so he's a pedophile. And, and I and I was like, oh, damn, I didn't know that. Um, I just like the music. And then I was talking to another friend who's a very, very smart academic, and I was wrestling with this uh, question. And so I brought it to her and I said, um, I, I, what do you think about the idea of not listening to David Bowie because, you know, he may have been a pedo, right? And no, her response was priceless and really changed, uh, helped me solidify. My, she, her response was, oh, every artist I like is a pedophile. I was like, what? What did you just say? She's like, right. yeah, they're all scumbags or, 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 or fucked up perverts. It's like, that's, she's like, that, all of those guys, these great artists. I was like, Jesus Christ, you can't say that. She's like, well, it's true. And right. I don't care. Right. Like, it's like, you know, and I, I just, I was like, I was so floored by her, her bluntness. I was like, oh, damn. Like, okay, yeah. I've always felt that when you know you make a song, it's not yours anymore. It's the people who mm. it, and that's that's how I always saw it. It's like it's not their song. I listened to. I was saying this uh, off air to Celeste mm -hmm. the other day. Like I listened to uh, Chad Kroger's "How You Remind Me" still quite a bit. Actually, I like that song. It's the post rock grunge anthem of the of the millennium, and uh, featured a big. Uh, that a big isn't the Canadian national life. anthem. <laughs> no, our Canadian national anthem is Oh Cannabis, our home oh, yeah. plant. Okay. True patriot love and all our bongs command. <laughs> With reddened eyes, we see the light, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, I, I, but, you know, I listen to that Chad Kroger and Nickelback song, even though I actually do know he is sort of a scumbag. And I know that <laughs> very, very personally, like I've spent many hours with the man. And yeah. uh, I did give him the my the benefit of the doubt and wanted to see. I, I said, "Well, maybe let's see if he isn't like I hear." Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's even worse than I had heard. Oh wow! In person, yeah. so yeah. What can I say? I was at, I was at a music video shoot with my girlfriend, and I was the only one there with weed. So he and I <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of time together. But and he's 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 beyond douchey. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I guess I, the closest, I, I wouldn't have, I haven't met a lot of like my musical heroes or anything like that, I've met a few, but the, um, I had this brief stint in um, where, so I grew up loving professional wrestling, like that was my thing. Um, Ultimate warrior, baby. All oh, yeah. Um, well, I was, I, you know, I. I was, even then, I was more of, like, an artsy-fartsy. I liked all the, like, whatever, indie wrestlers and less common guys, but I was a douchey hipster, even as, like, a 10-year-old uh, wrestling <laughs> fan. Uh, <laughs> but, um, 
When I was 10, yeah, it was I, all about yeah, WWF, Ultimate Warrior, <laughs> and uh, those Army Ant toys, you know, and, and collectible uh, baseball card stickers that you build into the books at the Safeway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. and Street Fighter 2. That, that was my 10th nice. year of human life. That, that was all I did. Street Fighter 2, <laughs> yeah. A lot of Street Fighter 2. My parents had just separated, so I had uh, extra allowance and... Uh, all the time in the world it was back in the you know it was, this was 1990 91 so it's like you know it's like see you at dinner kid right <laughs> and that was how we liked it like, yeah <laughs> right. it's funny i didn't i had a nintendo um and i was oh, lucky, I had hard, lucky bum i had hardly any games for it you know like it was like, well, we got you the thing, so you're just going to play Duck Hunt for the next ten years. You're going to like it, right? Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't get a Nintendo. We, I was, I was allowed to rent one every every month. Once a month, ah. we to rent one if they had one in the store. Right. And I, you know, we'd be driving the store. And my mom would always be like, "Just visualize it. If you really want it to be there, just visualize it." And I'd be like sweating bullets, like visualizing so hard, so hard. <laughs> one time, it wasn't there, and I was like. Mom, I visualize so hard. I know it will be there. And she's like, they said there won't be a machine coming in till tomorrow. I'm like, no, trust me. And so halfway driving home, I'm like almost in tears. And we turned around, I'm like, I know it's there. I know it's there. And we drove back. And they were, sure enough, they were like, yeah, suddenly one, someone came in and brought it in a day early. And even though it was expensive to rent. So, so you were using, so you were using powerful magic, uh, even at a very young age to manifest I was raised to do that. They they taught us that. Like my dad, if you got sick, he was like, you lie in your room with the lights off and visualize green light around your body. That's what he did. That's what they all did. They didn't really believe in medicine so much or 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 disease. There was a bit of that. Um, that you have a bit of that in Jehovah's Witnesses too. I think. Uh, like, uh, you know, like my parents. Yeah. So. Yeah. Tell us like about celiac disease or things like that. Then it wouldn't affect us. Right. <laughs> that was a mistake that led to much pain and suffering. So that's the downside of it. The upside of it is, yeah, visualization and, and mental attitude and, and magic is a thing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you should still go to the doctor and get right. the tests. You know. Well, yeah, I was lucky. So the wit witnesses, they're not so much. There's one specific witness thing, and that's blood transfusions, right? Like witnesses will not take blood. Don't, they don't eat blood they don't drink it they don't use it for anything and not so even they, the blood of christ not um that's the only acceptable purpose and you know like okay. witnesses have one holiday a year and that's the memorial that they, they call it a memorial and what the board's even meal and it's basically very similar to a mass um and that is the only that you know as far as they're concerned that's the only use of blood either physically or spiritually interesting um, so one one mass formal mass a year yeah yeah well that's very sort of symbolic of the cycle of the year in christianity and like you know yeah that's that, yeah that, that sort of makes sense i can see that yeah it, it wouldn't so work for me i can't even go to churches that don't do communion every sunday like if if, 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 if like yeah my, if my buddies invited me to their lutheran church i'd be like is it a communion sunday they'd be like no i'm like fuck no no way right. <laughs> there's, there's no body and blood then yeah no, no juju i want the juju baby well right and that, that it's also i think that was one of the things that that you know is really fascinating to me about like um 
like Tom Berg's work and all this kind of stuff. I didn't grow up with, you know, we had one, basically there was one aspect of service every year that was liturgical, I guess you could say. Mm. I mean, there was like singing and everything all the time, but everything was very just, um, I don't know, like maybe academic is the word for it. It's very heady and intellectual. There was no like. Yeah, but it, it grew out of that period very much so, didn't it? Yeah, it's very much that like 18, early 1800s, um, like, uh, you know, all the millennial dawn groups, basically. The it was a, it, it was sort of a reaction. It was reactionaryism. <laughs> oh, my, yeah. my, I'm all muddled for words today, but <laughs> reactionism to the romantic period that was going mm. on in popular culture at the time with the big poets like you know, Keats and Shelley and all of them. So yeah, right. religion was trying to counterbalance against this move toward nature and, and ecstasy and, and poetry with, uh, with a rationalism being brought into the churches. It was, it was an interesting time. Yeah, and, and you know, it's kind of funny. I've never really put this together until you said that, but yeah, yeah. there's yeah. something that I think I can remember being, you know, because I, I was I was a pretty avid reader when I was a little kid. Like that was like the first thing I remember being really into was reading and books. And I just always had my nose in a book and all that. Um, but I didn't get into poetry until I was a teenager. Like I just I think that's pretty normal. Kids don't really have much interest you have in to poetry. Make sure you speak up even when you're under your breath. Stage whispers so we can. Oh yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, so little kids don't uh don't really get into poetry i think um but teenagers start to you know a lot of yeah. the time yeah. and the kind of poetry that was popular when we were kids um of that very like emo free verse kind of stuff um didn't really do anything for me but the second I started reading romantic poetry, I was like, whoa, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, yeah, right? this is what I've been missing my whole life. Um, yeah. And like Blake was the big one for me. Blake, yes, that was the, that was, he was the guy. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I almost feel like in some ways there was almost like a, count, a personal counter reaction to having such a, dry and unromantic view of life in my in my personal and in, uh you know my religious background and all that so that's just kind of interesting I, I never really thought of it that way until you put it that way but it's definitely what happened in the that's in all those kind of like mid-century revivalist sort of movements like witnesses yeah well i mean down. religion yeah. at that time was coming was trying to adopt some of the ways of thinking that had uh, been born in the enlightenment period and they were like okay so if we're not gonna be all uh, all uh, magical and 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 superstitious now we have to adopt the thinking of the enlightenment and and the reaction to that in pop culture was the romantics wordsworth and them and so it's interesting that you come from this religion that was born out of that reaction to romanticism and in, in embodiment of enlightenment uh, logic and, and scientific thought that to form religions based on on a hypothetically critical like you know I mean famously in Jehovah's Witnesses they couldn't really figure out how the Trinity was meant to be interpreted so they're like okay they're three separate distinct beings 
that are supernatural beings actually flying around the universe. Right, right. Yeah. That's what Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses do, which is why in seminary, if, if you study advanced theology, they'll tell you it's technically not Christianity, really, because it's not monotheism. They believe right. in three different supernatural beings that physically move around the universe and like, like sort of supermen. And when I heard yeah. that, I was like, what now? They're like, yeah, Mormonism is, is similar. It's, it doesn't, they don't technically qualify as Christian religions. Um, mm. And they don't like hearing that, of course, but it's oh, like- right it's like you're not monotheistic and that's like well, you can't really be christian if you're not monotheistic i mean the catholics had to do a huge song and dance for many centuries to, to, <laughs> to end up as still monotheists despite the the plethora of saints angels right. and the trinity and then mary uh, sending bodily into heaven and all that jazz <laughs> right <laughs> it's so mythological and and uh and it in Egyptian, it's it's not even funny. Right, right. Which was always, you know, growing up, that was always the witness counter criticism of it. It's all mm -hmm. just, it's yeah. all pagan magic. Magic, yeah. And I then, remember a friend of mine uh, was putting a, a kid she was babysitting to bed last night. She was Catholic, and uh, the kid was from a really hardcore Christian family, as they would see it. And she, the little kid grabbed my friend's cross and said, why does your cross have a little man on it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love that? It's right. like, you mean Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> why would Jesus be, and then the, this super Christian kid is like, why would Jesus be on a cross? Oh my gosh. You know, like we've come to a very interesting place historically. <laughs> well, do you know <laughs> the, the real Christian? Yeah, oh, sorry. Go, 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 go. No, I was just gonna say, do you know that witnesses don't even believe that it was a cross that he died on? Oh yeah, they believe it was, was an upright like pole. Was he Vlad Tepes in pale? Yeah, well, kind of. Like they, <laughs> they, they think that he was like put up, and it wasn't a cross, and it was, you know. So the one thing that pole. probably everyone in the world agrees on is that whoever this guy was, he definitely got put on a cross. And yeah. the they're like, no, no, uh, right, uh, not gonna do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Wouldn't be prudent, yeah. So. <laughs> like he got Vlad Tepst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because even oh. as an adult, the first time I ever like got a piece of crucifix jewelry, I was like, had this like, <laughs> you know, kind of like my hand hovered over it for a little bit. I'm like, whatever, yeah. man. It's fine. Oh wow, yeah. Well, it's a magical symbol. It's 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 and it, it it's really powerful, of course, because it it has such strong resonances with the sacrificial god of odin or osiris um at the same time i think there's something to be said about us moving towards more of a buddy christ kind of era yeah <laughs> right. you know what's wrong with that i don't see anything wrong with that well you know i that's one thing i this is another thing that i think i've taken away from from john michael greer that i think you know and he he sort of identifies himself as a polytheist um obviously being a druid but he, i guess according to him you can be a christian druid um why sure. not um well there was a the, lot of christian druids who were christian right right they were just when christianity came to the celtic lands the druids were like yo is jesus like the sun they're like yeah they're like cool we're in right right <laughs> and then they started um, <laughs> illustrating all these bibles and manuscripts the book of Kells, and the christians were like hey this is these druids are are pretty cool they're like yeah yeah it they're good at this stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like they're, yeah. they're, they're perfect at this. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, they uh, smuggled in Druidry into Christianity. 
right? Um, Christianity really is the greatest syncretism of all time. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair way of um, putting it. I think it's one of those things that like it manifest. You know, I guess for me and why Christianity still kind of resonates as far as how I view the world, even though I'm not looking at things through a very fundamentalist um, perspective at all. You know, and I I don't I don't attend a church regularly. I'm not associated with a particular doctrine or belief or any of that, but um, I think that it, uh, yeah, it's a, it is a powerful, I think it's not supposed to be set in stone, I guess, right? I think it is supposed to be a dialogue. Um, and that's the big uh, debate between the mystical theologians and the uh, dogmatic. Right. Right. Yeah, that's the big, I, um, that's the big I, one. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I want to jump right into the hardest things, man. You know, yeah. um, I, I just, I don't, I guess, you know, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying that I don't have that, that for me, like my part to play in it is on the more mystical end of things. And that's the part that resonates with me. And that's where I sort of like participate. Um, and I understand like, I understand that structure needs to happen, right? Um, for something to stay, to stay recognizable. So we have to, you know, like, but like, for me, it's not about, you know, like the way I grew up, religion was about stating a group, a, a, a group of propositions that you believed as facts, right? Um, and that's not where that's not where i look at my spiritual development or or anything now um i not necessarily anything against that and unless you go too far with it and, you know start shooting people and <laughs> burning them at the stake and all that kind of stuff which happens when people go too far in that other direction but um yeah i just i for me it's that's not what it's about um mind if we take a quick break for me to grab a cup of coffee yeah, of course. Yeah, no, this is, I'm really enjoying this, brother. This is a really nice talking to you. I love, I love our subject matter. And we haven't even gotten into ritual work, really. So, no, no, if no. Continued, I'll be BRB. All right. Sounds well, like he addressed scientific stuff in a, in a way that wasn't ridiculous. Um, All right. Was we're rolling. Like so, Valentin Tomberg in Meditations on the Tarot considers science, which is, uh, yeah, what did you get out of that? Well, you know, I I had never encountered people like uh, what's his name, uh, Tyre de Chardin. Yeah. Tayard, yeah, Tayard. Tayard de Chardin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I I didn't realize that uh, he's actually quite still well known in the theological landscape. They 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 refer to him even just as Tayard, Tayard. Oh wow. <laughs> and they they really do talk about him because they're like, yeah, he was a he's a he's a contender, he's yeah. a serious thinker, and mm -hmm. uh, the Catholic Church has never really known what to do with them. Then again, the Catholic Church doesn't know even what to do with its pedo priests. So uh, they've right. been really right. good at managing their human resources, eh? <laughs> I think I think they need I need they think they need several centuries to figure out what to do with about anything. Right? Well, the great like, the great Catholic theologian Hans Kung, uh, bef before he got censored, or maybe because this is how he got censored, he wrote some books. Uh, so one of them was saying the Roman Catholic Church will not 
thrive or exist into the 21st century very long unless one, they start ordaining female priests, two, allow priests to marry, and three, become a mystical church or they will not be a church at all. And the Catholic Church had to deal with this famous theologian of theirs saying that. So they dealt with that by saying, okay, you're not allowed to teach theology anymore at the German <laughs> university you're at. So the German university moved him to the philosophy department. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's other guys like that in the Catholic uh, theological world, like Karl Rahner. And these are all serious theologians that the Catholic Church is proud of. But they, they say those things. And if you walk around the Vatican and talk to churches, uh, priests, like none of them believe in like the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven or, or a right. lot of the stuff that people generally think is, is a very severe Catholic thought. A lot of them don't see things that way. A lot of the priests in, in churches are more humanitarians, just uh, working from within to try and help people. Yeah. Mm. You get yeah. a bit of everything, of course. That's why it's the best polytheism. Right, right. Um, yeah, and of course, it's a it's also a structure that can uh, that you know sociopaths and and uh, predators can use like they can use any institution. That's, well, yeah, you know? I mean the stat that people don't like to think about is the fact that there's more of that in the school system than in the churches because you have to send your kid to school or used to, but you right. don't have to send your kid. So no one likes that's an uncomfortable truth. But, uh, but definitely one of the foils against this uh, rampant abuses in the Catholic Church would be letting priests marry, which is, which is biblical. It goes to, you know, there's, that stuff was all artificially created. There's no biblical basis for priests being celibate uh, or, or unmarried or not having women priests. There's, that's, that's all BS. Um, and, you know, in, in theological college, they walk you through the linguistics and the language and the culture, and they, they make you that very clear, um, as uncomfortable as it is, right? I mean, in, my, in, my begin, in my intro to New Testament class, I remember saying to the teacher, because I was 20 at the time, and he, I said, but the Gospels were written by the four, for, by the, by the four, by the four apostles who, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, that's cute. You that <laughs> <laughs> Give it a couple of years when we walk you through the Greek and uh, all this linguistic stuff. <laughs> right. and, and then by the end, you're just like, holy shit. Oh right. my God. Yeah. So that stuff was written down years later based on oral tradition of wall paintings. Right, <laughs> right, right. Oral, oral tradition and wall paintings. I yeah. love that. The only, yeah. only Christian documents written in the time of Christ were the uncontested epistles of Paul, the uncontested letters. The other half of them were written after Paul had died. The world hadn't ended, and they had to say, okay, so this apocalyptic eschatological theology that Paul was using to explain faith to people like the world they believed it was going to end in their lifetimes and then he died the world didn't end and they're like shit how do we run these churches now right and that's when you get the writings of colossians and, and later later epistles that they attributed to paul because that was the style of the time same as when you have pseudo dionysus or pseudo whatever it's pseudo paul mm, that right. wasn't considered plagiarism that was considered honor honoring someone like if i put out a book and under the name israel regardi it's like this is pseudo regardi <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah well that that's a that's the thing i think that um a lot of people have a hard time with when we're talking about any of these kind of matters is you know the viewpoint and the way people think about intellectual property and you know all that kind of stuff is very mutable and looking at things from are you saying there's countries today that don't value intellectual property rights? 
there. I am saying that. Yes. I'm going on the record. Um, I'm going to take a firm stand. Um, but yeah, you know, like the way we think of these concepts is if they're just like immutable aspects of the human condition. Like, no, like people have looked at people look at people, the way people look at things like attribution and authenticity and all that is very different than and it and it continues to change and it continues to evolve. And looking at stuff that was written two thousand years ago, as as if you know there are certain things that have not changed in the human condition in that time, um, and then there are a lot of things that have, at least in terms of how we view the world and how we like the software that we're all sort of like using to make sense of the world. That that stuff gets changed and and messed around all the time. So that's the way we do things. That's how religion works, you know. Like that's why that's why you can look. There can be so many different interpretations of everything, um, you know, because there, it isn't fixed in stone. And what people, what one person meant by what they said, you know, like the meanings change. And so it's 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 we do a lot of projection into the past, and I think some of that is unavoidable. Um, some of that's even a feature and not a bug. But you have to know that it's happening. I think you're gonna serious yeah you're speaking a little bit about uh etiologies right you know what an etiology is right it's a story made up to explain something that that happened and that that's a lot of the uh the older testamental literature in the in the hebrew bible is is exactly intentionally that and if you know it was a it was almost a writing form to write Mm. etiologies yeah you know yeah and 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 it wasn't I don't I think that it was basically a literary style that they all knew. It wasn't like, oh, they're trying to like convince us that man and woman were made from clay and a rib. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. Literally. No. And it, and um and I think that people don't people don't give enough credit like the general person who encounters this stuff doesn't give enough credit to the people who wrote it as being as sophisticated as they are. Yes, and that they exactly. were trying to like trying to like <clears throat> communicate something that's sophisticated. We um, thought there's this idea that these people were sort of dumbasses, but it's like yo, they figured out the world was round by looking at the stars. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, tr- think of being one of those old people, and not just an old dude, but like because there was a lot of women scholars, like the woman who uh, you know uh, Rachel Weiss played her in in Agora. Um, mm. She was uh, hypothetically uh, the one who figured out that the elliptical sort of planet uh, movement of the planets, but then she was brutally killed in a Christian thing, and that was you know Cyril or Cyrus, and that was sad. That's you know this is the brick burning and this, the killings and all of that is just really atrocious. But right. like these people were imagine doing the math and charting the stars on tablets right. and parchment. Right. <laughs> like these were not, these were not dum-dums. Um, well, you, you know, what's, and this is a totally different cultural milieu and everything, but have you ever heard of those people in um, the South Pacific who navigate without maps? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they get in these like catamarans and canoes yeah. and they go thousands of miles by like, putting their head to the ocean and like feeling the currents and look just kind of like, yeah, I know we got to go this way sort of. And they always hit their target and they always yeah. know what they're doing. And, they, and they've been doing that for thousands of years. Like you can't be an idiot and do that. 
you know? <laughs> know. Well, the, the, the origins of ayahuasca are remarkable. I mean, the plants sang to them, right? Yeah. The plants yeah. sang them, sang them, said, mix these things together. And like, it's when you think like, how else could it have been done? Like, I don't think they were just randomly boiling plants together to see how often they died. Right. You know, and to see if maybe one of them would cause them to have a spiritual experience. I don't think they did that. <laughs> I think they they got a tr sort of mystical transmission from the spirit world. Like, how else can you say it? Like, otherwise, right. how would they have known to mix those two plants together? It's just mind boggling. Right. And I'm sure there was a lot of trial and error in eating plants, of course, throughout human history. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> right. Um... I'm bored. Let's eat this and see if we die. Yeah, and, and some of that has, uh, you know, we have to thank all of our ancestors who didn't make it or, or who, who are not our ancestors because they didn't make They're it. They're part of the mycelial <laughs> network now, brother. That's why we call them the teachers. We're the teachers, which is a nice way of saying the patsies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't make an well, omelet without breaking some eggs <laughs> for a few million years. Yeah. Um, we have a beautiful psychedelic omelet at our fingertips now, don't we? Oh, <laughs> I mean, there is, there is this world of choice before us and we don't really quite know what to do with it, I think. Right. I was just talking about that with some friends today about, um, you know, like people are starting to revisit the idea of psychedelics and the sort of like useful therapeutic uh, ways that they can do it but it's still kind of a wild west i watched that interview on on rogan with the doctor of i think neuroscience uh who's a drug proponent and he was saying crazy stuff uh, i don't know if you know the interview i'm talking about it was really intense i haven't actually finished it but he's saying stuff like he thinks uh that aa for example is a waste of time and and even toxic a toxic mm. organization this whole addictive addiction thing is is mostly uh, a cover for uh, us not wanting to help people deal with trauma and and spiritual healing and and self-mastery mm. and control and responsibility and stuff like that he, he thinks like everything from heroin to cocaine should be legal he's openly uses them even though he teaches at i believe columbia um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah right so it's like and his book is uh is quite a quite a firebrand apparently but this stuff is being talked about more publicly and uh i mean i come down on the side of like let's look at the stats usually right yeah. is it, it you know and when you look at portugal uh portugal right mm -hmm. it's hard to argue with the stats right right of, uh, well i don't know about your community but i see even the you know i don't have a strong opinion about some of these things um as i don't have an extensive history of using too many of these substances for one thing. Um, so that's part of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I just try not to have too much of an opinion about something unless I've sort of encountered it a little bit, but I, you know, I've seen certain things. Yeah. And, he said something crazy. Like uh, I didn't realize that, that PCP and ketamine are actually basically the same thing. Did you know oh, that? Yeah. No, I and didn't PCP that is actually a psychedelic. So all these people using nasal sprays of ketamine for uh, depression or whatever, it, it's not that far. Like he explained the, mo the molecular, molecular structure, the effects. He's a scientist. Mm. He's a real scientist yeah. who, right. who likes his drugs. Um, and, he thinks, <laughs> and, and, you know, he gives the stats on how most users in the world are actually responsible adults who have lives and kids and, and families and right. friends. And, and they just enjoy this little thing. He said most people aren't addicted.
if you actually well, it's kind of numbers like, of users and that does make sense um, well that's the whole thing like with the vietnam vets you've heard about that before right no maybe Where, not so what was vietnam one, huh? <laughs> what, was yeah, vietnam? Right. <laughs> what was vietnam yeah at one point during the height of at, at the height of it there was an insane number of guys that were on heroin in vietnam okay on right. american troops in on yeah but then the number of them that remained heroin addicts when they got back home was like way less than that right like right. well it's like the stats so, of, of grannies grannies who go on morphine or basically heroin for hip replacements they don't all become chunkies yeah <laughs> they right. get better they heal they they go through a uh I mean, what he was explaining actually he was saying that the key is you really have to do the withdrawal right and it's the doctors that are cutting people off cold turkey from these drugs that are really doing causing the abuses to happen because that's oh, not how you get off these drugs he's like you need to simmer the people down on these hardcore drugs and if you do it the right way and give them support and supervision and not stigma then it's a lot it's really easy and uh, mm. I, again i'm not an expert my sister's a professional drug counselor and therapist with the down and okay. out you know um, so, mm -hmm. and she, she's, she's been a student briefly of Gaber Mate and mm -hmm. uh, other famous teachers. And we, we're both well-trained in that field, but um, yeah. And it's shocking how much the mainstream world is suppressing recent findings and all the stats and all the science behind it. But then again, we've somehow ended up in an era of suppressing science, which is just so ironic. It's like, not even <laughs> like we're back to the right. middle age. Why should I do this or take this? Because Jesus said so. <laughs> right. Jesus yeah. isn't here. Well, <laughs> the Pope is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's... have you you've heard that? I'm sure you've encountered a lot of this uh, lately, where people they'll use that construction like, "Do you believe in science or not?" And I'm like, "Oh wow." Like, what do you mean? Like, do I believe in science? Do and I guess I know what they in science. Yeah. <laughs> In a young girl's. I've realized actually I can't sing too much on my podcast, even for fun, because I get I get I get copyright notices. Oh damn! I, yeah, even if I just do it, I guess I I do it so well and and clearly in the right key. I don't know. Wow! So, yeah, it like picks I, up. I got I got copyright notices singing my own songs on some podcasts, and they're like <laughs> contested. We're we're sending all the money to uh to the to the to the copyright holder. I'm like, that's me. That's so that you should do you should do this all the time. You can make money. You can get real. Well, they send it to my distributor, but my distributor <laughs> hasn't paid me in 10, 11 years. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, no, like uh, as of 2009, I stopped getting all digital royalties. Uh, before that, I made like a thousand a month, but like they just cut it off from independent artists. They're like, hey, we can just stop paying them and there's nothing they can do because they can't afford to sue us on sue iTunes or something like that. And they got I was just reading. It's, it's, it's yeah. the situation. It's, hor it's horrible. It's yeah. like, you know, people really don't believe that artists or especially musicians deserve to get paid for their music. They, people do not feel that musicians deserve to get paid for their music. It's just a fact. It's very strange. It's yeah. one of the I, reasons in 2015, I started pivoting back into, you know, teaching and writing. Because you weren't, yeah, you weren't able yeah, to Yeah, well, 12 living. albums out and I was getting a, a bill once a year for $1.50 for the rights to have my music be heard. Um, I, but at the same like i just got a spotify notice the other day saying like 1500 people listened to this one album last month and i'm like where's my, felt like cardi b where's my money 
Where's my money? <laughs> Where's my money? But they don't, they just won't pay. They, just, they won't. You can get a, someone to send them a notice and they'll remove your music, but you can't yeah. force the, well, they either have to pay or remove your music, but they'll just remove you gladly. Yeah. And it's like, well, what about the last 10 years in which you built up your platforms from all of us artists? It's, it's too late. That battle's over. We, we lost. Yeah. But you know, we still have our music. We can still like, you know, I, I, the fact that it brought back the live culture of music and what, you know, you hear people talking yes. about, do they do yes. a good live show? I'm all about that. Now, right. of course, that that's sort of sucked the last year, but, you know, hopefully that'll change. Sure. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I went to a concert um, this year um, and it was a drive-in concert, you know, like group of us went and they did it kind of like a drive-in movie, <laughs> you know, like you're at your car, like in the back of a pickup truck. Um, it was kind of like in the fall. So in New England in the fall, it's pretty cold. It started to get pretty dicey, but it was, I don't know. There was something kind of great about the resilience of just like, hey, live music is important. Let's figure out a fucking way to do this, you know? Um, yeah, right. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> I, I, I think there's a real bifurcation in the music now where like the poppier stuff is getting poppier and shittier in my opinion, but there's also like more of a pull, like you said, towards the live culture and people who are just kind of at the grassroots of things trying to like communicate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, the musicians I tend to pay attention to a lot of people wouldn't hear, but they're like, very edgy vanguard stuff like you know peregrine falls in canada which is some famous friends of mine they, there's a lot of edgy stuff uh free free punk is a, is a thing which is like a fusion of jazz and punk which is but you see you're seeing musicians instrumentalists perform at such a high level mm. you'll watch them for an hour and literally forget to take a single sip of your drink <laughs> yeah. you're just like you're just like you know wait you'll be like wait is the drummer and the guitars both starting the song with with cello bows on their instrument yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and by the end of it the guitarist is on his back with the bow broken and it's his third boat broken bow and it's wrapped around the neck of the guitar and the strings and he's sort of you know massaging up and down like a massive <laughs> neck of the guitar while his elbows hitting different pedals and the drummer's like freaking out but it's all so masterfully done like your your heart's like gonna explode it's an ecstatic experience so Check out mm. Peregrine Falls if you've never checked out Peregrine Falls. Nice. Yeah, just two guys, but they're they're the shit. There's a lot of that stuff going on. So music's alive and well, and it always will be because you know humans need. I'm gonna music. shout out. I'm gonna shout out a band uh, I'm oh, friends dude. with too. Yeah, there's a band called Umu Umu, and uh, I'm gonna spell it wrong, so I'm just gonna look at their Instagram real quick. Mm -hmm. um, and they are like a progressive rock kind of. Okay, so it's O M O O. That's one word. Second word is exactly the same. O M O O. Psychedelic rock band from New Hampshire, and uh, everybody should check them out. Um, and actually, one of the guys who I've learned uh, quite a bit about uh, magic and stuff from is the bass player. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, very cool. He's, he's but like yeah, it's fun to watch. Adam Jones or Danny Carey. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> um yeah so yeah i think you're right i think the music culture is alive and well whether it's whether it's mainstream or not is always if, goes if back and forth you can put on a show people are gonna go see it right so yeah the only people who really have to worry are people who can't put on a fucking show 
Right. Um, right. And if they can't, well, you can learn. You can learn. You know, just uh -huh. get up on stage and let your freak flag fly. It works. Trust yes. Me. <laughs> <laughs> the, shit, the, the good shows I've done, they, they have not been televised and never will be. They're too fucked up. Well, right. And it's, you know, there's there's a certain like I don't like to be sort of gatekeepery or elitist about stuff, but I also think that people sort of self-select for what they can handle, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. God bless Cardi B. She seems to be having a a fun time singing about what she sings about or Billie Eilish or any of them, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I I don't listen to that stuff really uh at all. Though I do like some mainstream people, uh I've, well, been you know what? I've been following Halsey since the very beginning. Yep. I think she's yep. very impressive. And I, I, I would agree. I love, I love themed albums. So it's like, that's right up my alley. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of it is not necessarily that the artists are so bad. Um, it's that the process of becoming a pop star nowadays. Is just well, which so is why it's impressive. Someone like her and some other artists sort of bypass that system. Right. Right. Like, uh, right. I saw, I saw Tim Dillon's interview with, with little Zan and he just put out a song while he was on Xanax one day and it blew up overnight, just like Halsey did when she was pretty much homeless. And the mm -hmm. labels tried to buy them off. They're like, fuck no, we don't need you. And then when they did negotiate with the labels, they had the power to do whatever they wanted. And that's, right. that's this new age of internet musical opportunity that does exist. You can just be a populist musician. Once you have that success, you can't be told anything because right. they, you don't need them. And that's amazing. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Because why have we been listening to these suit and ties for all of these decades, letting them take the like 99% of the money and the masters mm -hmm. and all of that stuff? It's, it's why I've, I didn't take any of the offers from my friends at Random House or Viking or, or even consider any of the labels. I worked with a label for a minute. I was like, fuck this. No, I'd rather just have fun and have control and, and we can do whatever we want, you know? And yeah like there's some downsides to that but it's it's art it's my art it's my creativity and it becomes less the second else someone gets the second someone else gets to have any say yeah well you know and the the thing is like i think that the pioneers of something like that always sort of pay the biggest price in the beginning because they are the ones who are exposed to the most risk of whether it's going to work or not work you know but as yeah. more and more people yep. start doing it, it becomes less and less risky. And then you start thinking like, okay, I actually don't need a middleman. They're not actually doing anything. They're providing, yeah. it's not that they're not doing anything, but they're not doing anything that I couldn't do either myself or with somebody close to me that I trust, you know, yeah. like marketing and the, all that stuff that they, oh, we'll take care of all that for you. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. I mean, you know, certain <laughs> projects can work with with those with those things sometimes it can work but you're yeah it's uh, there's a freedom that comes with the internet and that's something worth celebrating mm -hmm. yeah but for as course. long as we have it <laughs> yeah right i know I, even as i said that i was i was like i was like yeah i mean this 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 war is a real war eh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just hope we don't end up like on 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 uh stationary bikes like in black mirror right. electricity <laughs> right. the next porn star like what the shit oh my god I'm, yeah. praying, I'm praying man that we don't we don't end up there when this is over but you know i don't know 
I um, do you have any intuitions about how how this will all wash out? I don't know. I say that um, I I I have a day job, so I have to be <laughs> careful about the stuff that yeah. I say about and think about stuff, you know, no, which is fine. ridiculous to even say it that way, right? But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that um, yeah, after doing what I've done this since since starting this podcast, I'm probably I'm sure pretty sure I'll never get a day job. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> <laughs> right. one, one little google search it's like what the fuck? <laughs> that's right um, um that's why everybody should book a reading with blah 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 blah. yeah so but no um the um yeah i, I my intuitions about how things are going to shake out i i guess i still think we're, things are going to get worse before they get better um and i don't know there's um there's a guy who I'm a really big fan of. He's like a strategical thinker, or whatever. He, his background was in like defense and all that stuff. His, his name is John Robb. And he wrote a book called Brave New War. And it was, it's already about 10 years old or so. But um, it was basically about how the wars that are going to be fought in the 20th century are not between nation states, they're between these like decentralized entities. You know, like part of the reason that the United States had such a hard time in their campaigns in the Middle East is because they weren't really fighting other countries. They were fighting these like very fluid networks that can right, right, you know? often ones that they had created and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, and then it gets out of control. It, it you know, it gets out of the box. I mean, it's kind of like the famous thing. What is it? I think it's Rambo three. And it's like, if you watch it. There's like, it's dedicated to the brave fighters of the Taliban. Did because you know like, Rambo was just filmed like right near me where I am right now? Oh, no, no, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I actually did know that. I did know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so but, what were uh, you saying? Well, no. So like they, at Rambo 3, so that was like late 80s, they dedicated it to the brave fighters of the Taliban because those were the good guys. Oh my yeah. God, that's hilarious. And then like 13 years later, it was like, we have to go to war with the Taliban because it got, you know, it got out of control. Um, that's just... But yeah, so so oh. I think that, that, that those network dynamics are sort of what we're seeing at play here, you know, like in my country that it has been going through so much ridiculousness in the last couple of years, um, we're, we're not really seeing, you know, like the political parties are sort of like the, the faces of these things, but there are these like networked entities within those that um, they that behave in a very different way than just the traditional party hierarchy sort of system. And I think it's going to be a while before the messiness of that shakes out. Yeah, well, I mean, you're in the states, and that's the battleground because the battle is actually over in most other countries. It's it's been over for a while in most other countries, and and what happens in the states will set the tone for the rest of the world in a, in many ways. I mean, Canada's Canada. There's no fight. There's no fight. We we we've we've been sold to China. We we are owned by China, and all there is for us to do here is just sort of you know play along and keep our heads down and and that's it you know um and that's i'm not i'm not saying that with anything other than just like that's just the facts so they can and we know it um and so that's why this culture war in the states is is so important because it could determine whether or not we end up in uh in a 
in a very different future one way or the other and mm. uh you guys are fighting for the soul of the world as i see it in many ways and i don't even know which side is right anymore because it's also crazy uh, oh i think both sides are wrong i mean to yeah, the extent well, that i think it's side, both okay the but... sides are problematic the sides are right. problematic. the extreme fringes of 10 the 10 percent on either side because most people aren't like that and that's just that's right. the media chaos saying making it look like the minorities are the majorities and they're not most people are chill most people right. are chill and just want to get home you know do some arts and crafts watch netflix have a wank and go to bed <laughs> right. it's right. true right? right some of us do crazy shit like ritual work or ceremonies and that's that's awesome but right. but like sort of you know we, we want to live our lives but it would be nice to live our lives and still have things like I don't know, free speech a little bit, like some mm-hmm. sort of, sort of, you know. Right. I'm grateful that we still have enough to be able to have these conversations, and and that, right. that's nice. I don't think it'll go away completely, but it's it's definitely up in the air. It's it's, yeah. uh, it's on the table. Mm, right. So yeah. Thoughts yeah, and prayers with my friends in America. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts Thank and you. prayers. Don't forget about me today. <laughs> I love Anthony Jeselnik, man. That's I love comedy and I love the extreme comedy, like fucking Jeselnik, you know. <laughs> I don't know him. I have to check him oh, out. Oh dear God! Yeah, <laughs> I've played him for some like really uh, liberal friends uh, or progressive friends, like by which I mean people who don't like talking about, uh, you know, they they think they they can't hear the word porn or sex, like people like that. <laughs> That's what oh, I boy. mean by it really like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, that's, that's dirty talk. We won't have that. I've played okay. Jeselnik for them and they will piss themselves laughing. I played that's Sticks funny. and Stones. I played Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones for my mom. And it took her 20 minutes to start laughing, but she started laughing at the most rid- horrid thing too. She started, she couldn't stop. She, she was just like, what is this? I'm like, and she loves the Anthony Jeselnik too, even though it's so offensive. Um, well, I, so I, I think there's something great. really powerful in how transgressive good comedy is. You know, it's like one of the last places that you can just like, like, should he be saying that? And it's like, no, but that's the point. That's the point. That's the right. point. You know, we need these people to say things so that we can all laugh and let it out and get back to being good little boys and girls and keeping right. our jobs. Like, that's the, this is the mechanism we've had in place for a while. It doesn't make sense to get rid of that mechanism because when you, when you, like we've done in Canada, we sort of banned comedy in a way. Um, like mm. you can't do, you can't go up on stage and say what you want. You'll get sued and maybe jailed, um, and that's horrible because then you're just gonna, then it's gonna, it's gonna bleed out onto the streets, and you see that. You see that with a lot of racist uh, stuff in Vancouver. It's like give these people a place to go laugh and vent in the dark cellars and 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 you know find comedy in in the absurd and the taboo and uh and they'll 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 be nicer on the street because they've they've let it out you got to let it out right yeah well and they you can also counter it right so if somebody says something racist and awful somebody else can say something funny that like totally undercuts it you know whereas if you're not even allowed to say it then you're not even allowed to counter it Uh, yeah that and that's the power of humor that it really is it's right I, i actually see this podcast as a comedy podcast i always have when i started mm. my youtube music channel even years ago i listed it under comedy because some of the things <laughs> our band our band was so ridiculous like you you know if we, you heard the music it was like nice little celtic jigs and reels and ballads but when you heard us talking as human beings on the road and stuff like we said really 
you know, stupid, crazy shit. (laughs) Because that's that's what people do, especially passionate, creative ones. We just want to say stupid shit and make each other laugh. It's, it's, it's not unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's all going to shake out. I, I think it's, it's interesting though, to like sort of contemplate your own place in it. Like I, I really don't try to take too many sides about stuff, like you said, but there is this sort of like, okay, how am I going to be? And how, how am I going to be in conversation with the people that I, you know, are in my network? Like, which way am I going to tip the balance towards, you know? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Shall we talk a bit about ritual work? Sure. Yeah. So, so when did you start doing the LBRP and the middle pillar? I, I mean, as a ex Jehovah's witness, uh, <laughs> bodybuilding tarot reader, who's now dabbling in uh, anthroposophical Roman Catholicism right through meditation on the tarot what led you to actually take you know that step to learn how to do the lbrp in the middle pillar because a lot of people see those as extremely complicated rituals which is adorable um but i also remember (laughs) when i saw them as complicated rituals and like there is that time they are complicated like you know by 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 the inner order of the golden dawn work you're getting like these 40 page rituals that are just you know take hours to perform sometimes so it's it does get it does get a lot more complicated but if you do it in stages it's a beautiful flowing thing just like right. being any high performing person in any field like yeah you know litigators seem seem impossibly logical and 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 quick-witted but they didn't start there and gymnasts right. don't start with a triple summy Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So how I kind of got into it was it actually kind of came from my um, getting really serious about being into tarot. Okay. Wow. It sounds kind of funny. Like so, so tarot what, led you to trying out golden dawn rituals. That's well, so here's how, here's how it kind of worked for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was doing tarot and getting into it and reading it and you know kind of practicing stuff all the time and trying to learn what cards meant and how to interpret them and everything and and I would do these little readings for myself and write down what I thought they meant and kind of see how it worked in my life you know Um, and that process was going pretty good I came across um, a book that Gareth Knight had done called uh, Magical World of the Tarot I don't know if you ever I I've, I've, I love Gareth Knight. I've been you know reading him for almost thirty years. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that so that was one of his books, and I had read his other book. Um, or I'd read parts of I think at that point read parts of uh, Experience of the Inner Worlds, which is kind of like his big Christian, you know, magic book. Um, well, he was Dion Fortune's uh, protege, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's uh, so, 90 years old right now about he we uh, we were actually going to have him bring him over to isis oasis where i was in california to do uh, a conference that i was putting on uh, a hermetic conference before covid hit oh wow yeah because okay. detracy ho- Reg- regula detracy regula really always wanted to meet him they're big Dion fortune fans mm. ISIS oasis and that whole uh, fellowship of isis temple of isis thing was really founded on a love of Dion Fortune's work. So there's this hermetic connection there, which is what led me to go there and, and teach weekly hermetic ah, okay. classes. That's how the connection happened. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool background to know. Um, yeah, the, um, yeah, so I was reading, I, I read his book and I, you know, I, um, the way it was kind of structured was this very like, um, he doesn't say this in it, but the way he's, he, it, you go through the material is it's kind of like you're building a memory palace, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and where you're, you know, like you're encountering the, like you do this kind of like, I don't know, I guess you'd call it scrying kind of thing where you're, you know, you go into this imaginal place and you interact with the characters of the tarot. So you're going through the major arcana and the um, court cards, especially and interacting with these characters as if they are, you know, people or characters or figures, you know? And so I was reading through it and getting, you know, like the intellectual thing, but I'm just like, all right, I, I'm just going to start doing this thing and see what happens. And I, <laughs> you know, this, this sounds kind of weird, but I was like, Hey, I've done, I've, I've been, you know, I've had some experience with meditation and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, for a while and you, you i know you have a background in uh what's his name uh maharishi stuff right um and yeah. uh and um tm and everything and i okay. i didn't get i didn't get sucked into that but i did i had you know i went to a tm teacher and i i kind of was around that a little bit yeah so it was, was definitely like, it was not by my own free will right that was my age zero to right and like yeah i right. know that was my yeah. that was my christianity yeah right yeah um and so and i definitely was like yeah i don't want to get get any closer to this i'm i i I got out of one cult i don't want to join another but um i i do i was like okay well i'm gonna you know some weird things happen when you sit with your eyes closed for 20 minutes and i can do i can do this yes they do don't they (laughs) right so i'm like hey might as well do some weird things with the tarot and so i started doing working through garrett's night stuff and um i kind of was like okay like it was started to like i started to have some like strange experiences like talking to these you know imaginary figures i guess you'd say or i i shouldn't say imaginary i think imaginal is a better way of putting it i I don't want to like imaginal is a great word yeah, I, I think that's a better way. That when you say imaginary, it's like you make makes it sound like frivolous or something. Yeah. But um, but uh, and it wasn't like that at all. So anyway, so I start doing it. I'm start like you know having these experiences, and I start being like, you know, like what happens if I'm like poking around in there and I start encountering some things that I, you know I'm like not really prepared to handle. Um, it, and that was when I got interested in actually like doing the, especially the LBRP as a way of just kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to like make sure that I'm sort of like fortifying myself and keeping uh, negative things that away. That was the word I was thinking of too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what kind of kicked it off for me. That's where I got into it. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, was it hard for you to learn the LBRP? Did you find that challenging? I would say so. Um, it was challenging because I'm just kind of piecing it together from books and videos and whatever, you know. Oh, you um, lucky cats had videos and stuff. Like that. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I watched some of yours, I think, even. Oh, my God. I don't I don't think I have any visible publicly, but maybe, maybe. Um, I yeah. mean, yeah, it's still not been done well, but I'm sure it will right. be done well at some point. Right. Um, and 
Uh, are videos helpful? I think they were. I think they're not helpful. To, they weren't helpful for me to jump into, um, yeah. but they were helpful when I'd already kind of like fumbled around with trying to make sense of the written instructions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, and then like the videos are helpful for that. I mean, I put up, I just like, I wrote down, you know, Yote Vavhe, Adonai, Ehie, and Agla on pieces of paper and taped them to my four walls. Ah, you know, because okay. I it was just hard to even remember those words because they were so unfamiliar right. to me and they were actually right. repugnant words to me because I associated them with Christianity but I sort of hit a, a dead end with uh, Wicca and Druidry there wasn't the literature out in the early 90s that we have today and there wasn't mm. like you know matter what how many books I read I wasn't getting much of a practical regime of work that I sensed I could do it felt very powerful and so i was like i out of desperation i i tried out don craig's stuff and and i felt it i actually felt it in a way i didn't feel anything else and i was like okay there's something to this and but even after that it wasn't until i actually saw my first teacher at temple tahuti that was sanctuary of tahuti back when i joined there wasn't two adepts so there was no initiations allowed mm. um and uh, then I saw him do it and him vibrate in the temple. And I was, it was just like, it, yeah, it was, it, was, it was shocking. Sort of probably like the difference between doing uh, karate or taekwondo on a video cassette in your living room and then, and <laughs> right. then, and then stepping and in the circle somebody. and yeah. then stepping in the circle and getting kicked in the head. You're like, oh, shit, right. this is uh, what, you know, that's a whole different thing. You're like, oh, damn, this person's moving really fast and wants to hit the fuck out of me. <laughs> and they do. <laughs> and you're just I, like, ah. That happened to me when I stepped into a pro wrestling ring for the I, first time. I uh, bet. <laughs> it was like, like this person's not doing exactly what I want them to do. Ouch. Right. And it's <laughs> the funniest part about that is it's like, wow, we're actually trying not to hurt each other. And it's awful. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> There's a lot that goes into this. Oh my Amazing. God. I've been, I've been in real fights that didn't kick my ass like this does. God. Yeah. Well, the adrenaline spike alone is enough to like traumatize you. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that's that's pretty cool to like, um, to hear that you know, like that that you found something that was that started to like resonate and work. I think it's almost for me. I think this will sound really weird, and if any of my old Jehovah's Witness you know cohorts were to hit it, it was. It I'll send them so, an email. Yeah, yeah, right. It's so heretical to say this, but like, for me. I've been saying the divine name since I was a, since I could say anything, you know, mm. like Jehovah was one of the first words I ever learned. So saying YHVH in some way was like way more comfortable for me than it would have been to try something else. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of people do find comfort in hermetic ritual work because they have that Christian upbringing. You know, for mm. me, Christianity was always a bad thing from childhood onward, which is where I'm quite different from a lot of people. And I'm aware of that. Like, you know, my family, I grew up with, with my parents sort of poo-pooing churches like, oh yeah, that's just what other people do. That's not the real, that's not the real thing though. Like they don't really, they don't know what we know because they, right. they were doing two hours of yogic meditation every day. And it's like, that's <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Like, you know, Sunday church just seems sort of boring compared to that. But then you discover there's this depth of ritual within the Judeo-Christian tradition. And then if you go even further, you discover there's also this depth of entheogenic practice, which is only even now just coming out as it should have been known all along. And it's like, oh, baby, 
there's a right. lot to uh, explore here in a radical way. Yeah. Well, that was actually one of the things, um, again, I keep coming back to Tomberg because it's just my like home base. I, I love ways. that you love Tomberg. Everyone should love Tomberg. And, okay. And, 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 yeah, it's, it's, I'm not getting boring by going over this again, right? No, meditations on the, I'm actually going to do a full course for people oh. on meditations on the tarot. Oh, wow. I've been okay. working on for a while. Okay. Um, I've got hundreds of pages of notes I've made, and I'm going to be doing it in a way that it that actually, ironically, is in is an attempt to decatholicize it so it's digestible to the non-Roman Catholic audience. Right. Because right. not everyone is super into hardcore Roman Catholicism. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I sort of love right. it, but I also sort of hate it. And, sure. And uh, I don't know. Is there a word for things you love but also hate? um not that's coming to my mind love sure. hate let's 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 make love, a new, love hate let's works. call it a love hate relationship I a love hate relationship yeah. works yeah, that, yeah. that's a new <laughs> it's a novel term 2021 um, <laughs> yeah. so you know i sort of see it like i see my ex-wife you know <laughs> jesus <laughs> yeah so but that that was one of the things i think that was conveyed was you know that there's so much richness in there's so much richness in Western spirituality that isn't explored that I have nothing against looking at Eastern stuff and I, I find a lot of value in it. Um, and I, I mean, even Tomberg does, right? There's a lot of theosophy and all that kind of stuff that, so yeah. it, it gets some of that Eastern flavor into it too. And he well, recognizes it, but- He has a Prisca theology, uh, theology essentially, right? The Prisca yeah. theology mm -hmm. idea is that there's this lost wisdom that, uh, we, that we damaged or lost and it has to be reconstructed in contradistinction right. to the idea of the Sophia Perennis, the idea that there's a perfect tr wisdom tradition that has moved down throughout the ages and all you have to do is discover it. There's, it's a pedantic, difference but he definitely has this idea of reconstructing the true truth right for better or for worse yeah and um what i sort of took from it was that every person who participates in it has some part to play in that reconstruction you know yeah um i like that idea it's sub subjective you know that's a very kabbalistic idea bringing in the idea of the the restoration of the shattered vessels the tikkun olam right sort of kabbalistic idea of karma that our job is to mm -hmm. is to through our own participation and healing sort of recreate these divine states and uh, mm. uh, i like yes that. i like that that read on it was the kabbalah tricky for you to navigate in tomberg's meditations on the tarot um, yeah, and I would say that's probably the part of it that I still have the biggest, um, the biggest uh, difficulty with. But I think that I've, <laughs> you know, I came across a quote that I really loved that said, um, you know, that it, the rabbis say that like a man shouldn't even study Kabbalah until he's forty, you know, <laughs> and like I'm forty-one now, so I'm like, oh, okay. You are. Oh, yeah, so I, I got realized when you were talking about ages past that you were of the same generation of me. So we're both oh. actually we're both Gen Xers, really. Yeah, yeah, we're right on that so Gen actually, X. Cause... Yeah, you're actually, yeah, I'm turning forty, of course, in ten days. Oh, okay. So I, I, just, <laughs> I just replaced my stolen copy of Meditations in Kabbalah, and I look forward to diving into some of David Heim Smith's uh, Pure Kabbalah and all mm. of that stuff. Kabbalah has just always been my passion, and. Uh, the techniques are so uh, uh, 
so synergistic with the rest of the Western mystery tradition. They they really flow together quite well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's it's um it's very interesting and it's very fascinating to me. Um and so I kind of try to approach it as not like not letting it overwhelm me when I don't understand it necessarily. It's just more like, okay, this is something yeah. else. Yeah, you just let it flow through you and you know. Right. Right. You keep coming it, you, the same stuff keeps coming up again so you know each each cycle of the serpents you uh you get a bit more and it's, <laughs> right, it's right. Uh, maybe that's what we call alchemy in a way right very intense mm. right just the repetition the re repeating the sacred cycle of even mm. our own epistemology mm. i mean that's what the tarot is really this sort of uh symbolic epistemology right that that as we do it it puts us more in touch with our own being and expands our mind uh, have you have you experimented much with path working the golden dawn technique of meditating into the cards um well i guess that um through some of the stuff in the gareth knight stuff there that that was kind of um explored that's kind of the extent that i've put into it um i do sometimes use the cards um or I will use some aspect of that as fuel for my meditation sessions, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, which, you know, has been, has been kind of interesting. Um, just kind of like seeing where those thoughts take you and kind of seeing like, I like that. Yeah, I might do my next public uh, free Zoom class the uh, first week of February on pathworking, actually. So I'll be sure and invite you to that. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a technique, but once and once you once you have it down well, that's it. You just run with it from there, right? It's like mm -hmm. it's a uh, yeah. It, what used to be one of the the secret inner order teachings of the Golden Dawn, but it's been it's been well known for a while now. I don't know if it's been really well explained ever, but that's okay because you you generally want to hear about it from a couple different sources and and reading the original accounts from the Golden Dawn members uh, of their path workings is very useful. I find reading the the flying rules, the little essays they would pass amongst the inner order of techniques mm. and practices that seem to work for them, and they would share those things in small little writings called flying worlds and reading that stuff definitely uh helped me i know um when i was uh, trying to figure it out but again it wasn't until i was in an order that i really got a handle on it i mean it's self-guided meditation essentially but if you don't follow a, a few certain parameters you can sort of get lost in it mm, yeah that that would actually be real i would be really interested to to hear um or see your material on that because that is one of the things that I will find, whether it's, you know, that or any other sort of these meditative practices is that some, some days I, I'm just, I just feel like I'm flailing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I still think it's worth, I still think it's worth the effort to sit there and flail, but I'm like, hey, you know, like, this would be kind of cool if I could figure yeah. out why yeah. I'm flailing so and what I'll to do about it. I'll definitely do that for the next uh, free free Zoom class on hermeticmysteryschool.com. It's a free little cyber guild, and you can sign up free. And then once a month, I'll do, I'm do I did a Zoom class already. You got to be there live to get it. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but I'll do pathworking. That's it's long overdue, and it's it's about time I do it. So we'll we'll all 
go through the theory and then pathwork the universe card together. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. I've got a I'm doing weekly classes actually, but the the three in between the free ones are for the the next tier up, of course, because you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it's gotta be. That's where you got gotta, gotta eat. Gotta eat. <laughs> gotta, gotta buy more books. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that exchange of energy, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Coins, not. pentacles, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, the middle pillar, what's your thoughts on the middle pillar ritual? And, and actually, but first, first, the one main variation in the LVRP that people seem to talk a bit about these days is what do you say for the before me flames, the pentagram, uh, dot, 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 what do you say? What do I say after it? Yeah, what, what do you say? Do you say before me flames, the pentagram? Yeah, I say before me flames, the pentagram. And then what? Um, and then behind me shines the six rings. Star. Great star. I like that. That's 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 my favorite. I think it, it really echoes well the idea of what you can know and what you can't fully know. The idea of the microcosm mm -hmm. being that which you can know and master, and the macrocosm being behind you that you can sense and get a feeling of and sort of connect, but it's still always in a way behind you, you know? And mm -hmm. until you turn to face it and meet it face to face after death it's always going to remain a little unknown, just like we don't actually, no one really knows what happens when we die. I mean, right. we don't. And anyone who says they do, well, they're full of shit. <laughs> right. Like, At least not the whole story of it, right? Yeah, exactly. You, we, yeah. Like the Bible says, we, we, for now, we know only in part. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Through a lens or tarot card darkly. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um. Yeah, that's a great way of, that's one of the things that I've really taken away from doing this stuff. Um, and again, like I said, I'm still pretty early on in my journey with it, but. Um, I, I believe in older orders, they would actually say, um, before me flames the pentagram, behind me shines. I believe in the Fade Ra temple and the, the Stella Matutina tradition that led to Jack Taylor and Zaleski and Nick Farrell. I believe then they would actually then say, and above me, the glory of God. Oh, okay. Which is nice. I sort of like that. Yeah, I, sort of like I like that. that too. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, bit it's a very a little Christian, but the Fade Ra, uh, New Zealand people, Stella Matutina was more Christian than the Alpha and Omega and original order. Mm, Though it's mm. still really the original order. I mean, it's the same people and blah blah blah. I don't need to say comment on that. It's been talked to death. <laughs> well, I like hearing it personally cuz I like, you know, I don't I don't know all the the intricacies of all the different orders and all the different um branches of everything. Ah, um, well, so. I have a, over 150 episodes of podcast you can. <laughs> right. Great. Um and then there's have, all the I, other wonderful teachers out there. I mean, you know, there's lots of people. Well, and that's a, that's kind of an interesting thing. I, I mean, what are your thoughts about? I, I get I. Let me try to. All right, slow down, Matt. You got to speak in sentences. Um, I think that ha was an interesting thing. Like when I first started trying to do this, like I had this real sense of like getting it right, you know, getting it authentically right, mm. um, instead of like working towards making sure it was working and <laughs> doing what it was supposed to do right that's a tricky and, one hey yeah 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 you know 
Um, and so I'm like, well, so-and-so says this, but then this guy says that. And like, if I don't hold my finger just like this, is it, did I do it right? You know? Um, and kind of like seeing what, what accept what variation can you have in your practice that's meaningful versus what variation is just going to be unique to who you are because again like i'm learning this stuff out of books nobody's watching me or critiquing me or giving me uh feedback on it but you know i try to tune into like how does this feel what is this what are the effects that are it's producing that kind of thing. and what are the effects that you find it produces oh that's a good question i kind of walked right into that didn't i um it's uh so initially um I started noticing, so I work here in my day job. And in this particular situation, the pandemic world that we live in, it has been the most stressful to do that job um, that you can imagine, just like the conditions you're in and the way, like there's a lot more friction with, with people um, than I ever used to encounter. But what I started to notice is that, that like, I'm aware of that, but other people's, I don't soak up other people's bullshit. Yeah. And I, to the same degree, and I can kind of like sense it or be like more aware of it. And I also notice my own bullshit <laughs> doesn't, it's not that it all falls away. It's that I, it's so irritating to me now that I have to do something about it. Like there are all these things in my life that I've been like putting off for, <laughs> you know, cause I've been doing it in a suboptimal stupid way for 40 years and been fine with it. Um, and now I feel like every, you know, like, and I really can't tie it to anything other than, you know, consistently doing, banishing yeah. stuff away. It's like, you just start to notice when something isn't working for you anymore. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and, or at least that's what I've noticed. It's like, oh man, this sucks. I got to do something about it. And then I'll keep putting it off. And eventually it just gets so annoying that I have to do something about it. Um, I don't know if that. Well, the daily habit, the daily habit of ritual work definitely, uh, for some reason, maybe it's just the nature of habit, uh, makes it easier to address and take action proactively on the things that aren't working for us. But I also see it as like shining that light of the divine on your face really brightly. And it's like, you see the blemishes more clearly mm, and mm. it brings a lot of humility and compassion for yourself and others, because you're, you're looking in a, in a much clearer mirror of yourself. Right. Yeah, you're seeing the gap between who you are and who you could be very clearly, you yes, know? Yes, yes. Yeah, and and it's, um, and not in a way, like, that makes me, like, dispirited or, or, you know, like, unwilling to do anything about it, but I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, I see that now. Like, I was ignoring that, or I was not looking at this thing, but now I have to look at it, and it's okay, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so the LBRP definitely everyone finds it provides this strange sort of buffer. I always think of what Dion Fortune said when she said, like, before you can begin to influence your environment, you first have to become unaffected by it. Mm, 
Mm. I always thought that was very wise. Right. But I also right. noticed over my life, it was definitely a choice. When you cease to be influenced very much by your environment for a long period of time. So after I'd been gone through all the grades and been doing crazy amounts of ritual work up the wazoo, it was in some ways also hard to sort of connect with elements of my environment and other people because I was so ritually and magically detached. So, mm. and that's where I think the, in the other mystical exercises really come into your magic too learn to connect with that divine compassion and, and love mm. truth and knowledge for all things and beings because otherwise you can become a bit of a detached uh super magus asshole right right <laughs> i could i could see that happen. you're just a reflection of my lower self be gone it's like i was asking right. if you need a receipt with that sir it's like, right, oh, right 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 sorry i've been invoking thought every day for six months <laughs> right. maybe i should do a rosary yeah, you know, Isis. that's actually one of the things that's one of the reasons that I didn't keep going with the uh, the transcendental meditation stuff is like dentalism is a dangerous thing. I saw it started seeing like people it's kind of like what like when everybody came out with like how Ellen DeGeneres is like a giant asshole to everybody that ever worked with her. Yeah, that I was, was like, shock, right. I was like, you know, I can kind of see that. Like, if you sit there and you're just like, there is no difference between me and the one at the center of the universe. Like, yeah, that's an okay thing to like think about here and there. It's like a useful lens to look at things through. But like, you could really start to believe your own bullshit after a while, you know? She did that uh, having coffee in cars with with Seinfeld and they had a conversation in a coffee shop that I found very telling. And he was commenting on how people can be a little tricky to deal with. And she just blurts out, uh, Oh, people are assholes. People are horrible. And there was the, the way she said it, like, you know, when you hear someone speak just casually, you, you can read, you can hear a lot there, I just sensed this, this actual vitriol in her voice. And I was like, Oh, she hates people. She wow. really hates humanity. Like you can hear it. She could hear it, and maybe that's the result of being in in the public eye for too long, and 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 you know, drinking your own Kool Aid, um, or who knows? Maybe it was the bitterness from the way she was treated in her career. Whoever. The bottom line is, though, if you're on the spiritual path, or if you're if you're struggling to be a whole human being, that's there's no excuse. Yeah. There's no yeah. excuse for treating people badly and giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're pouring. You're you're drinking your own poison. It's, it's not healthy. And that's where spirituality comes in, in my opinion. Right. And, and I think that there's, you know, like there's a difference between acknowledging the, like the fact that like people irritate, right? I, I have a bad temper in some ways and sometimes people piss me off and it's not like I'm not aware of or experience the pissed offness, but like, I think that part of what a, a good, spiritual regimen should have you do is not identify with that too much you know like it's it's part of your experience as a human being it's not like you're you have to deny it or be like oh everything is sunshine and rainbows all the fucking time mm. like that's annoying too but yeah no no as one of my favorite adepts said don't mistake sweetness for spirituality right <laughs> right right um especially this this the kind of sweetness that's motivated from a place of um weakness right like where you're yeah. you're you're nice because you're afraid to not be nice you know yeah. that 
that's that's not necessarily good. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think you're right that like you should be generally getting more compassion for the human. That's actually a thing that I think is really kind of off culturally. Like there's a meme going around where people think that human beings are like bad. Like people think that a human being is shitty. Like really, I, I don't identify with that at all. I mean, there are things about human beings that are awful, you know, like we do bad things to each other and to the environment and to the earth and all that. stuff. I'm not going to pretend any of that isn't true, but I think, I think there's some really wonderful things about me, about being human, you know? And I think that that's part of our job is to like figure out the wonderful parts of it and lean into them. Well, that's where we get back to, to theology and, and like people like St. Irenaeus saying the glory of God is every creature fully alive. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have that faith, if you don't have, any form of divinity or god in your life then all you're looking at is the gross dross and matter of the human existence and it does look like some sort of virus like mr smith in the matrix said you know we're just (laughs) a disgusting plague on the earth and if you don't look for that fire of the divine within someone which means you probably can't see it in yourself then you're Mm. you're in serious trouble and that's perhaps the great disease of human existence is to not see that spark of the divine in yourself and therefore in everyone you meet, right? Mm. I always loved, I love the breastplate of St. Patrick, like, you know, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in the heart of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the lips of everyone who talks to me. That's, that's a beautiful, powerful thing. And you can, you can sense the paganism in it, just the way it's structured even, right? You can tell right. it was probably about the Daigda or, or Lu or, or Dana, some pagan god, <laughs> right. or, or the Druids were like, cross that out, cross out my fear. <laughs> Jesus. right instead of the the triple goddess before me and the gods of the honey-tongued ogma behind me (laughs) it's all jesus the christians are like so you have converted fully right yes jesus Jesus." (laughs) they're like no no father son holy spirit like right 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 sorry we got that and mary is your (laughs) goddess no no mary's not a goddess she's she's we we don't pray to Mary. We venerate her. It's like right, venerate. Don't worship. <laughs> don't worship. All right, you know. What's we just venerating? Get, that's, yeah, that's when, yeah. That's when you pray and you don't, but you don't actually pray, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, okay. you, we don't pray. Catholics don't pray to Mary, uh, or they they sort of do, but they don't worship Mary. They venerate Mary and adore her. Of course, when I was in on on the Irish Aran Islands, uh, you know, I was dragged in a rainstorm at midnight by a guitarist from there before a shrine of mary that was a pagan shrine before that and he was like get your rosary out get your rosary out brother pray <laughs> pray to the virgin mary pray to the virgin goddess of the fairies and i was like what the what? Fuck? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, amazing to them it's all blended together like in the countryside right. in the west of ireland you can't separate those two things they are the same thing they always have been and always will be you can be like you know it's she's not a goddess right she's not a goddess she's the queen of the fairies the holy virgin mary <laughs> The mother of Jesus, and <laughs> you're like, <laughs> God bless the Irish, eh? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> they'll just take all of it. There's something that really appeals to me, you know, about that. Like a lot of Americans, I have a little bit of uh, Irish ancestry that I probably make a bigger deal out of than is actually true, you know. <laughs> but 
<laughs> I, I think that there is something to that. Like, um, there's something that's really fascinating about that. Like, meeting between the uh, what you what what the structure you sort of impose on it and your actual like lived reality, right? And I think that in a lot of those spiritual traditions, there's um, well, I think hoodoo is kind of like this too. On the other mm, end of my ancestry, yes, you know, because you have kind of, a. Am, am I correct? You had a you have a a, a white father and a black mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and he has some Celtic, right? Um, blood, because um, mm-hmm. those Celts get him along, and and your mother yeah. has some some uh, hoodoo, or is it Santeria, or what's her background? Where's well, where's she sh- her family was, um, you know. So we grew up outside of, we grew up in Pennsylvania and, um, I've heard of that place, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> no, I know. I believe it. I believe it. Um, you probably know as much as I do about Vancouver, but the, uh, it's, it's, um, we grew up outside of Philadelphia and where she was from was kind of like, you know, back when she was a kid, like just 30 minutes outside of the city, even though it was like this huge major city in the world you were in the country, you know? And so there was a lot of, um, there's just, you know, country folk. And there's a lot of this, this sort of like country approach to things. Um, now, of course she, her family became Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, so they kind of like, you know, didn't mess with any of that cunning stuff Mm. (laughs) you know but but it was like there it was there in the family and even i had um a lot of my family members um who weren't witnesses were pentecostals and like just any time that i would spend around them and they'd start speaking tongues and doing that stuff i was just like what is going on um but yeah so there's all these little things where you you know like people what people said they were doing on sunday and they go to church and then, you know, they're on Tuesday, they're out there putting, you know, sewing up mojo bags and, <laughs> really? you know, like that, that's See, just kind of, I feel like you're, happens, you're, you know? you're taking this more for granted and, and leaving things out that actually would interest me to hear more. About. So <laughs> this is a real thing. They would, your, your mom or her family would, would go to no, my mom, my, my mom and grandmother, they wouldn't do any of this. Stuff. Okay. But like, other people would go to church. Yeah. Cousins, and yeah, they would yeah. so that you'd had cousins who would uh go to probably uh like black baptist churches or evangelical churches black baptist or pentecostal churches. pentecostal yeah. of course right yeah. i always forget the pentecostal word and then yeah. and then they would go off and make what would they, would they make? Their, well like mojo bags mojo bags right i love mojo bags like yeah. folk just this they would do folk magic you know yeah just kind of like the guys in Ireland who would like, you've got to pray to the queen of the fairies, you know? Oh, well, the Irish would smuggle out their their uh, their um, Eucharist in their mouth so they could put a string on it and wear it as a charm. Ah, like right. that, And that's been going on <laughs> since forever. That's been going right. on over a thousand years, like right. uh, cunning folk and, and witches stealing away the sacred things from the mass so they could like crush them up and put them in their cat's food as medicine. To get right, right. Price. Yeah, and, yeah. and not denying the power of it in any way, right? In fact, using right. it, leveraging yeah. it. Yeah, right. and, and like, you know, doing invoking the fairies or other gods into the, the host with Jesus mm-hmm. so they could all party together in a little cocktail of magic and fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the, this was a big problem in the church, and they, they, there's many sermons addressing this problem, which is why they started doing that thing where they would look down your mouth to see that you had eaten the host. You weren't smuggling it out to do, <laughs> to, to do spells with it. <laughs> or to sell as a charm, right? Oh, yeah. man. This fantastic. is how, how magical these uh, people people have always been. Hmm. Yeah. So I like that, the, the going to church on Sundays and then going making moto, mojo bags. and <laughs> it's, it's fabulous. It's, uh, yeah, magic is alive and well and always has been. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, it goes through ups and downs for sure. It's crazy the, the popularity going on these days. I mean, I think some of the Goetian and planetary spirits and angels must be exhausted with all the people they have to show up to. Right. <laughs> That makes sense. I, I do have that occasional thought, like, well, while these archangels are standing here, is there anybody else on my street that is also being, you know, like, are, are, are Michael and, and Gabriel, uh, you know, like, spread thin across <laughs> my area, or am I the yeah. only guy well, doing this? Right I, I, ho hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> unfortunately, they may be multi-dimensional cosmic beings, so they sure. Can, so they I'm have, sure it's they have a little bit of time. Them. They're like Santa. Yeah, right. Yeah. They can they can be multiple places. Do you have much of a magical community where you live? Uh, friends in in the occult scene and friend fellows to connect with. Um, I have a few. I think most of the people that I know who are into it are more into like the chaos magic end of things. Well, chaos magic's uh, fun. People don't yeah. realize this, but I do. I, I work a lot with that that yeah. that paradigm and have for since uh, two thousand five okay um, yeah i explored that uh, a lot and and, uh, and a lot of what chaos magic has done is just broken it, magic and down to its uh key parts um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some of the stuff i think is a little is not my cup of tea but a lot of it is and uh, right, right. it flows very well with uh, a lot of the other stuff and of course yeah. i'm a huge fan of austin osmond spare and have been since i learned to read so gotcha you know okay. who isn't <laughs> well you know i don't know anything about him directly like i've never read any of his books um it's almost it's more like... about looking at his art almost and oh, contemplating right. his art he is uh, is in some ways almost more powerful than his written words but he was just a, a remarkable character do you know a guy named uh what's his name Aiden wachter uh, Aiden, yeah, Aiden Wachter, Aiden yeah. Wachter. i yeah, haven't yeah. listened to any of his interviews yet is he a big spare guy he is a huge spare guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, now I'm excited to uh, check yeah. out his, you know, he recently did a glitch bottle thing, I think. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was that a good one? Yeah, I liked it. I, I got a, a lot out of it. And I read, I just read one of his books. Um, what, was, what was the one I read? Weaving Fate. It's called. And uh, oh, I really enjoyed it. I'll have yeah, to check that out. Yeah. I'll have and, to go on the wish list. Uh, yeah. He's, he's big into so, big into spare. People around you are are into chaos magic, probably not not just because it has such a sexy, trendy name, but what is it about chaos magic that's so appealing? Do you think to the people around you? Um, I guess because, and I don't know who else is kind of. I'm not super connected to the to the scene in the community, but I think the people that I know who are into it are also like creatives and. Mm. Um, they're artists and musicians, and I think there's probably something about chaos magic that really proves. Uh, yeah, the the fluidity people. of the style right. and the flexibility right. of it is is probably very appealing. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, it's definitely that definitely probably fed into my use of it uh, in the, in my magical in musical life. Um, mm -hmm. for sure. 
uh, experimenting with uh, spontaneous sigil work and uh, directing energy and uh, you know putting a turning my instruments into talismans all of that it's uh it's fluid and and uh whereas a lot of you know if you want to make a talisman using golden dawn stuff you set up a whole temple you need enochian tablets and then you have a long <laughs> ceremony for right. uh, for proper talismatic uh, consecration and that's that's good too i always saw chaos magic as something really good to do once you had done the other stuff because it was like taking it to the street sort of mm, mm, right it's very practical it. yeah, yeah. It's very practical and uh some people take it all the way with that i know uh damien eccles is planting talismans under every coffee table in new york so, <laughs> so he can channel right. the energy of everyone in the area and, and if that works great awesome yeah great <laughs> exactly i tend to have more of the traditional view of like pulling light from my own divine higher self through kether because i, I don't really think that's a reservoir of energy that runs dry i don't yes. feel like i need to channel energy from people <laughs> right, right, um, my right. vampire days are long behind me but <laughs> you know there is some technical uh, theory around these things that could be gotten into as far as the manifest level of that energy so who knows it's uh it's interesting it's yeah interesting yeah. the middle pillar how mm. how is that for you uh, do you do you do it with many repetitions do you do it sort of formally or do you turn it into more a uh, ecstatic yogic exercise um incense do you burn uh i do one stick of incense in the morning um typically and because i'm usually just doing this in the morning before i get up to go to work or go to the gym. great way to start the day yep and um i kind of take it like i i look at it the same way i sort of look at other practices that i do um especially now um where I, I sort of like what's the minimum that i can do and still be doing the thing that i'm saying i'm doing and then i'll see if i can go from there so i will i have not sat down and like tried to do hours of repetitions or done it in different positions or done any of that stuff i am going like okay i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do the thing and try to feel what i can feel from it um and some days I will feel like it's opportune to spend a little more time and, and go through it a couple of times. But most days I just I just kind of do it once after I've done my LBRP and before I sit down to meditate um, just to kind of do it. Um, you know, you might ex try experimenting with uh, doing some tarot after you do a middle pillar that only that ends with yasod. You might only just terminate in yasod and even double the repetitions there, really build up that yasod sphere and then do some tarot and see if you're uh, extra astral. Oh, that's yeah. a very interesting thing to try. Yeah. yeah. A lot of a lot try. of us uh, only take it to yasod if we're going to be doing body of light work or astral work, just like you only bring it down to Tiferet if you're going to do God form work. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I like... Um, I like that idea because especially on especially on the weekends when I'm not working, I will tend to get into my tarot stuff a lot more. Um, I will instead of just doing like a little three card reading type thing, I'll actually sit down and like do a whole bunch of tarot to kind of work through the bigger stuff that I'm trying to work through. Hmm. Uh, and I, I think that would be interesting to to see how that affects it. Yeah, always good to ground down afterwards, uh, <laughs> of course, you know. 
do some yes. Malkut stuff after that or, uh, you know, go stand in some dirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I love standing in dirt and, um, you know, I have a great place to do that. I, I don't live in a very big oh, that's city. That's nice. Um, but uh, this time of year, there's you're going to be standing in snow and ice just like you are, I'm sure, <laughs> if you go out outside. Van- <laughs> Vancouver's temperate. Uh, we just get lots of rain. It can oh, be really? chilly, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind it, of pro- is it more like um, the Pacific Northwest of the United States? It is. States then it's too? like it's okay. like Seattle, but we actually get rain. They think they get gotcha. rain, but they don't know. What <laughs> right? Okay. They don't know. Well, it's funny. Years ago, uh, I dated this girl who was from Idaho. You know, so it's a very that similar climate. And she I've was been in to the Idaho. mountains. Have you? Okay. Yeah, Boise um, and all that. Yeah, she was from Coeur d'Alene, so it's kind of like a mountain, you know, town. And uh, it's like high desert, it gets cold, you know, but like the first year that she was in a New Hampshire winter, like there was uh, this one snowstorm, she was just absolutely in tears. <laughs> you know, she's like, how do people live this? This is miserable. You know, like we just had to like move the car so they could plow and it was like a 30 minute thing. And just, you know, like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know, you just get used to it. But she was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, when it's negative 40, negative 60, you would cry, but your tears freeze. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, we get that. We get this like heavy. We haven't gotten a lot of snow this year, but we get these like miserable winters sometimes that just like ugh, take it. Right yeah. No, we used to get snow here every year when I was a kid, but then it, it stopped for some reason that no one could figure out. Oh, funny! Funny how that works. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's almost like there's planetary changes going on, but you know, probably not. Probably not. No way. No, it's probably the real scientists. Yeah, it's just the it's just you know our perceptions. It's all in our heads, just like magic. It's not real. It's just we're just imagining it. Well, you know, I wonder what you what you think of this. I think part of the reason that I've gotten so you know, fascinated by this and why I wanted to do tarot as a, you know, a, a way of working with, with other people as opposed to just a tool that I was using for myself was, um, you know, I had read a lot of things. Um, I've read a lot of psychology and I've, you know, tried to explore it and use this. And when I first started looking at magical stuff, I sort of had this idea that like, oh, magic is a primitive form of psychology or something. Mm. And the more I kept I think looking more at that it, psychology is a primitive form of magic. Yeah, it's uh, to me, psychology is is a lot of what passes as psychology is like a degraded form of magic. Yeah, <laughs> they take all the so. good stuff out of it, you know, um, not all the good stuff, but a lot of it. And there's a lot of things that I'm just like, oh, well, this this magic you know like psychology basically said let's pretend that this stuff works because you're just tricking your own mind rather than that there's an actual interplay between us and the cosmos right which is fortunately science has come along been like yes there's an interplay between us and the cosmos oh thank you thank you we need that said right right and i i think that there are some people who are still never going to look at it that way and yeah that's fine we we need a few we need a few uh, punters out there to make. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's to me, it's like I don't even care like what is objectively happening. I just 
it's not that I don't care, but like I'm more concerned. I know what you mean. With like, what is it actually like? What are the results and like, what's tangibly like? What am I experiencing? And to me, like, magical practice has a lot of what I would get from a psychological perspective, and an increased richness and an increased pragmatism to it. That. Um, oh, I like that that you mentioned pragmatism. Actually, can you say more about that? Oh, well, I guess I mean it sort of on two levels. I mean it from a pragmatic sense of like, does it work in the yeah. real world? Yeah. Does this and thing help I mean, my life? Right. And if then I does, also mean it. Who cares how, why? Right. And, and I think there's also a philosophical strain of pragmatism, you know, uh, where, you know, um, this, I guess, has gotten popular again because of people like Jordan Peterson in the last few years, but it's actually got a pretty rich history going back to people like william james and um yeah yeah and all those guys one of the first books i was told to read in high school by my teacher was varieties of religious experience and that was an eye-opener yeah colin wilson also documented a lot of strange things in his work oh yeah yeah um i haven't looked as much at him as i should he did he wrote he 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 uh, documented a lot of accounts of you know country folk and and people who had had strange experiences and uh right it's it's you know it's not very novel today given how much information we have being passed about the interwebs but uh it was quite revolutionary for those those two fellows to document so many strange things right and be people like oh everyone's fucking weird <laughs> right it's not just me and granny yeah yeah exactly and um and also to give it sort of like seriousness you know like yeah like the ufo revelations and hearing all these new accounts that have been suppressed and we're (laughs) like wait they landed in a schoolyard (laughs) and the governments are like yeah 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 we know we know it's like well yeah fucking lied about it and suppressed it but so this is a common thing they're like very very common it's like (laughs) and we're all like uh i love how though that's like this is the situation we're in where we we all we're all so psychically bombarded by so much shit that like everyone's just like oh yeah of course yeah it's that like makes the, sense the powers that be decided just to dump it dump global change on us all in one year or two right. we knew the writing was sort of on the wall but now that it's come you know now that he's come to town it's like whoa this is hard to handle right yeah right. yeah yeah thank god we have so many streaming services to distract ourselves from the uh the fantastical world we find ourselves in well know. and the, the streaming services are definitely doing a lot to create the fantastical world that we live in sure but know? it's a strange time when when a when a marvel movie seems less far-fetched than real life right, <laughs> right. <laughs> like thanos i can understand but whatever's happening outside my window that's nuts <laughs> well you know i i kind of think that well, Marvel's a good example of this. I think Disney, in general, they sort of have this, like, almost a, I don't want to say a monopoly. It's not really a monopoly, but they they have, like, a... Yeah, that would be a sort of like, term that they would deny. Right. They have, <laughs> like, this 
they have this oligarchic a stranglehold let's call it that. stranglehold <laughs> on the imaginative possibility i mean like every bit as much as the catholic church did in like 1100 in europe right i love that <laughs> you you're know? comparing the modern the disney to the catholic church that's awesome but you know what i mean like they're just like you i i, I don't even get it that into this stuff but i, I can't think of, i can't make sense of my world without um stuff that's part of their wheelhouse now like i think in star wars and marvel analogies to the same degree that everybody else does you know it's the new scripture yeah you know yeah. and people argue about it and talk about it like scripture you can go on youtube right now oh, and find yeah. miles and pages of of star wars what basically is exegesis exegesis of yeah. of yeah. of star wars canon they even call it canon for Christ's yeah. sake, you know, <laughs> like or the Marvel Canon and the pseudepigrapha, like the <laughs> right. all this stuff, and it's like, well, my version of Luke is better than your version of Luke. Mine's the real Luke, right? Right. And then there's some people yeah. like Luke was a dick all along. We just didn't know until he was, <laughs> he was mansplained to us by some feminists, right? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta love that. It's it's. Uh, I'm very grateful for uh, Favreau trying to resuscitate a bit of my love of Star Wars. He's doing his yes. best, and and uh, you know, and then to see that what was really what's crazy is to see the outrage of of you know who coming back and people being like, we can't have any shows featuring white males. It's like, what the hell is happening? Oh, I know. I, I was I was raised in the feminist world, but it meant egalitarianism then, and now it means literally according to netflix they actually have a documentary or a show on it that said that concludes and makes it very is like women are better than men and that's a fact that's scientific fact they say so on this netflix produced show and it's like you know you're going backwards we're going backwards away right. from humanitarianism here into some strange bizarre clipothic realm yes yes so, it is a scriptural battle. It's a scriptural battle being fought by pop culture for this, for our souls. Right. Uh, no wonder the Pope is jealous. We have we have a wrestling against the wicked uh, spirit forces in the unseen places, right? You it know, just goes like, to show you, it's 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 different paint jobs all the time, but it's the same the same uh, underlying structures that we're wrestling with. Right. Yeah. yeah. It has something to do with what it means to be alive and how we can live the most uh, loving and abundant lives, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think about all of this and as it when it when contrasted with like the depression out there and the you know the suicides that we haven't even begun to hear about and all that really terrible stuff that we know is going on, but we're not even looking at it. What what's your take on that? How do how do we how are we going to confront and digest that? Well, that's a really good, that's a really good thing. I hope you don't mind me getting a little serious. No, I, I don't mind that at all. I, I don't think you can have a good comedy podcast without some seriousness. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good comedy is serious, uh, honestly. <sighs> um i mean that and, stuff's not too funny to me but yeah um no but i mean i i mean it seriously yeah. like it's a way to wrestle with because like this stuff is what matters you know it is. and yeah here's 
I, I, I don't know. I don't. I haven't come to any like strong conclusions about it, but I really do feel like um, there's a. Do you know a, a professor John Bervecki? Have you ever heard of him? No. He he's a. Uh, I think he's University of Toronto um, philosophy or psychology. I'm not sure. And he has he what he calls it, and this is his terminology for it. But I think a lot of other people have talked about it. He calls it the meaning crisis. You know, where people, you know, in this kind of like, there's been a collapse of narrative uh, orientation. So we don't have like these grand stories to to make sense of the world with. Um, because we we're all kind of like making sense of it ourselves and we're making sense of it of out of a hodgepodge of Disney and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars and religion and philosophy to the extent that we get that and just kind of like pop culture, whatever. Um, and some of us, I guess, are making some are trying to like actively engage and make some sort of sense of it. But I think that there's a large number of people who say, well, I don't believe that God created the earth in seven literal days. So therefore, why should I believe in anything at all? No, it was six days. No. Six days. Six days, you're right. And then yeah. he rested. He had to then have... he rested. Yes. Um, yes, thank you. He had to have a, a wank to make it. <laughs> he had to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, like, so I can't believe in that. So then I can't believe in anything. And there's a lot of, I think a lot of that misery and depression. Well, I get, okay. So I have to, there's a difference between, there's a, there's, there's a connection between like feeling depressed and having that sort of like existential lack of meaning. Right. Mm -hmm. I think they're connected. Right. Well, but I, 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 interesting to me is because that's literally what brought me to magic. It was sheer yeah. desperation to escape existential life-threatening depression when I was yes. 11, 12 years old. Right. Yeah. I was like, I, wow. I knew if I didn't figure something out fast, I was done for. Mm. Like it was a, this was no joke. Right. And uh, right. thank God I did figure it out. I had a revelation and, and I wrote this little poem, I think I was again 12, and it was like, the meaning of life is to find one, and it goes on and on and on, but that's the main line, mm. the meaning of life is to find one, and I knew that if I pursued the journey to find meaning, that eventually I, it would work, and the phrase I would always write in my diaries was, follow thy path, follow the, or find thy path, find thy path, and then once I did, I started, I changed that one day to follow thy path, because it was like, it doesn't matter what what your path is just fucking follow it all the way and when i did when i was when i miraculously randomly got to meet the dalai lama that's what he said to me he said just i was like do you have a teaching for me he said just stay on your path take it all the way and mm -hmm. that's it and then he put this you know the blessing scarf around me and i bowed and it was like okay that so you know all these people admiring this guy and all he's telling them to do is do what they're doing just do it better and harder and don't give up and that is the mystical journey. Mm, right. And that's, I think, that's what's so great about, so I too have had those experiences. I, I guess I could, I put it different between that existential depression and that like sometimes my physical brain is just making me miserable, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, the thing that I've noticed 
um, is that having a spiritual outlook and viewpoint and continuing to, like you said, follow the path is I still have days where my brain makes me miserable and it, I don't like those days, you know, they're not fun, but it's not, I don't have that same level of despair that there's nothing at the bottom of it. Um, yeah. that, that I feel like a lot of people unfortunately have nowadays. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a, it, it's actually maybe the real pandemic, right? This malaise and, and, uh, meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm such a fan of the idea of, of the occult revolution re-enchanting the modern world and bringing a bit of magic into it because there is magic. I mean, just go study some astrophysics and science, like pay attention to, like I, I check out on this, this Russian Canadian uh, YouTube page, Anton Chekhov or Anton something. And he, all he, uh, he always starts off, hello, 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 uh, wonderful people. You know, and I'm and then he talk, then he breaks down planets and space and looks at the recent research and he has the pretty pictures of plants and like it's fucking amazing, fucking amazing. Yeah. Like I, I accidentally, as I told you off air, I accidentally left my earbud in, I fell asleep listening to a Lex Fridman podcast on it with this black hole scientist and like it was playing all in my ears for the whole night of sleep. <laughs> I had to have two coffees today and. Uh, <laughs> I even missed an early morning appointment to podcast with a fellow. So, um, oh no, yeah, well, you know, black holes will suck you in. I hear, right, right. Yeah, so uh, you know that enchantment is there, and and uh, but the, the people are searching for meaning, and uh, I don't know how are how are we going to confront that? How is that going to play out? Is something I think about a lot. I don't think there is an answer, is there? But like, I don't think there's a one. I don't think there's one big answer. I think that part of the answer is like people like you and I and whoever else is thinking about having this conversation and doing, yeah, exactly. Having this conversation and, and sharing the beauty we see in the world with each other through poetry and art. Right. Yeah. That's it. Right. That's it. I think, I think that's a huge part of it. I don't think it's, it's not right. It's not insignificant. Yeah. It's the great. Yeah. It's exactly. It's um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and of course for the the seriously uh depressed and hopeless there uh, may be this new uh we may we may be uh quote unquote at the beginning of a sort of psychological a psychedelic revolution in which we start to see opportunities to work with depression and, and other psychological problems even ptsd through these plant medicines that can uh dazzle you i mean if you if you ever get bored with your ritual work if you ever get bored doing the lbrp and the little pillar <laughs> eat five grams of mushrooms and then do it well Don't you know boring after that I what's interesting is I haven't tried to combine the two, but I don't think I would have been in a place to even consider ritual work if I hadn't have a few years ago had you know enough of an experience with <laughs> mushrooms to open yeah. it up yeah yeah I mean, people um, people miss out. I think when they, if they only experience those things recreationally, it's it's uh, right. <laughs> that stuff just opens right up when you put it into a set and setting ceremonial environment into a magical mode. It's just it's a whole other animal. Mm, interesting. Yeah. 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 So I think you know, they, like maybe maybe there are some there's some glimmers of something around the corner that can actually help some of these things that we are 
we are dealing with. I, I, you know, I also, I don't want to say that there's been anything good about the pandemic because it's pretty much sucked. But I think if there's anything to take away from, I do think that people are sort of being forced to be more mindful about where their energy is going. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. That's not, that's not quite right because <laughs> some people aren't, but yeah, I think a lot of people, well, people are, are making, people are confronted with a decision now. Like, so I've noticed yes. that in my work, there's some yeah. people who have become very reliable and are on it. And some people have just become complete flakes and unreliable. And it's like, okay, I, I appreciate knowing <laughs> what your decision which, is. <laughs> which camp you're in. You yeah. know, cause, cause when the world does hopefully open up again, I can, have a clearer picture of the kinds of people I want to fill my life with. Right, right. And I I do think that a lot more people are sort of like confronting the stuff that they could get away with not confronting before. Yeah. Um, And I think that that at least- People can't be like, oh, I'm just too busy. I have too many things going on. Sorry, I freaked (laughs) out. It's like, you know, so much happening right now. It's like, I know you haven't changed out of your pajamas in a week, motherfucker. (laughs) I know it because all you do is post pictures of yourself in your pajamas. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Or but yeah, or, the, if, or you can even say, oh, yeah, there you go. I got to get myself some. I, my ritual work is not really going to take off until I have a good, um, good, some good gear. I've been wearing a same wizard cloak for 20 years almost. And the last two years, I've worn it almost every single day. And guess what? It really is uh, brings a lot of beautiful slight tweak to my consciousness in my mental mm. mentality you know i was actually borderline starting thinking about just starting wearing it around the street but because <laughs> people i figure at this point in, in this in the game people would look at me and be like yeah that makes sense i could see why not right. why not at this point just uh, yeah. pull harry potter that's like, not the weirdest thing i've seen all day definitely not you want something you know? weirder turn on the news uh, right. <laughs> so, people people wearing cloaks in the streets would be is so normal compared to everything else <laughs> that's that's going around oh yeah exactly yeah uh, i would love to i'd love to see that happen actually like why not just have a, you, you know we should have an international magician wizard day wizard and witches day where all of us <laughs> occultists do just wear regalia folks on the street if we all did it people right. would be like oh and they'd probably write it off a lot of people write off as like uh, harry potter uh, larping which is fine uh, the occultists would know what we're doing we're just like representing son you know what let's have a day like that what day would it be of the year do you think if that was oh i don't know you know the day to do that what would be the magical day it can't be halloween it can't a a lot of people do a lot of stuff around right right but it would have to be Uh a day that everyone knows that they should do that i think you see the real people come out like a couple like the day or two before halloween when it's like all like one thing that i noticed it has to be far away from halloween so that people realize it's special it's especially its own thing there was um Somebody I work with was telling me about, you know, she went on this little hike around here. There's this old, um, there's this old place that was kind of like a, like a speakeasy brothel kind of place in the, like in the early 1900s. And it, now it's kind of like a little historical site. And there are these like weird ruins and stuff around it. And were so, there brothels where people didn't speak easy? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I think once you're in a brothel, like there's no rules. Yeah. But uh, so they were they were walking around it, uh, the site of this place or on the little hike. 
And uh, she had one of her relatives who's like from Puerto Rico, very traditionalist, you know, kind of person and looks over and there's like a coven of witches doing a ceremony. <laughs> and she's like, does this kind of thing happen a lot around here? <laughs> she's like, oh yeah, you know. Yeah. And then she's well, telling me about it and I go on Instagram and I'm like, oh yeah, one of my friends is there, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's- I think So it would have to be a mixture of, of that sort of uh, public activism, wicked display thing mixed, but it has to be, be more mainstream it has to be like more of a wear your robe to work sort of day it has to fuse right. those two ideas together and we just like you know you could actually dress it up under the guise of that first harry potter book where all of a sudden like it's not in the movie but all of a sudden all these people in robes are on the street and everyone's like what was that and then it's gone we could, right we you could, know you could, got, you, could you could mask what us occultists are doing by putting it on as a harry potter themed tribute sort of thing just not call it that um you know, we could smuggle it in in Harry Potter or something. Yeah. I don't know, but it would be cool to have a day of the year where all the occultists, just like all of them who are, have the balls, go uh, go out go out like that. Yeah, and no, not do any like particularly rituals. No, just, that's the just that, do that's their essential. Own. Right. It's essential that this right. is not a magical, it's not a ritual event, not at all. That's what that's what's really essential about it. It's not a ritual demonstration. It's not an activism thing. It's just like represent and just like you know you you just you know that's it you just out of the temple out of the temple mm, right yeah, i don't know it's it's a funny idea just just uh we're just shooting the shit here eh wow three hours have actually flown by eh? yeah i can't believe it i was like oh man i'm gonna i'm gonna need to eat soon this was i don't know for you but this was fun for me i like this this was great it's why i keep doing it brother it's yeah. uh, it's great talking to people, getting to know people. I'm sure you and I would have a, a hoot in person. And, yeah, uh, you know, maybe someday. I, Who knows? You know, to, stranger things have happened. I'm I'm planning I'm planning some international events for when things open up in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding, right? right? I'm right, planning right. A, an international event for June 2022. At this point, it was going to be June this year, but fuck no there's no way you know and yeah. and like let's fingers crossed really that we'll even be ever allowed to travel again like you know we oh, could go full black mirror so uh Connect. wizards and witches uh unite to make uh you know make uh... well fiction again right. let's, let us let us bring about some changes in consciousness in accordance with our will in that direction how about that yeah i mean it would be so so easy if, if everyone on the planet just got dosed with a bunch of mushrooms all on the same day at the same time like talk about atlantean consciousness spontaneously erupting <laughs> but short of that happening there's probably some reason that we haven't tried that, like, or we have tried it and it didn't work well. And so they were like, we're scrapping that. We'll, we'll let people discover this at their own pace. Yeah. <laughs> For now, the occult remains somewhat occult and esoteric and, and we will, we will do the, the great work as we, as we can. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited about your journey. You sound to be like on a very uh, delightful spiritual path. And I'm, very happy for you i hope you introduce the banishing ritual the hexagram into your magical practice and move into some uh, path working mm -hmm. i would introduce the brh without the analysis of the keyword i would i would really do that the analysis of the keyword while it does make you feel like a living god um it's just it pays <laughs> dividends the longer you hold off on doing it and okay until you sort of maybe even perhaps achieve that sort of solar 
initiation to some extent. Um, it's just if you throw everything on your plate right away, then nothing's then none of it none of it is dessert. Right. 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 You know? um, I like that analogy. That's really yeah. good. That's really good um, guidance. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. No problem, brother. Um, so yeah, this has been uh, Matt of Spear of Fire Tarot, and where can people find you online? Um, best place is just at Spear of Fire Tarot at uh, or Instagram. Uh, is Spear of Fire Tarot. Um, and you also have a personal Instagram. Do we should we give that out or just? Yeah, like, sure, we can do that. Your yeah, yoked, my yoked prism. Prism. Yoked prism. It's very prism, very prism. Prism. Yeah. P r i s m. Yoked. Y o k e d. Y o k. Yeah, I'm really glad you reached out. This has been an amazingly wonderful conversation. This is definitely you know, great. Yeah, yeah, it's be great. We should do it again sometime if you're cool Absolutely. with that. Absolutely, and uh, yeah. hopefully, I'll see you at my uh, my Zoom pathworking class uh, in early February on a Sunday at 4:44 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. Of course, be one one doors at one doors at 4:30 or 1:30 PST, and just like to do those magical numbers. 444 corresponds to uh, the Hebrew letters Dalit Mem Tav, which I, when I, when I broke down the letters DMT, I got Dalit Mem Tav. I was like, holy shit, that equals 444. I guess, uh, I guess I'm onto something. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, you could say maybe argue it was Tet, which is snake. And that has a whole other uh, energy, prana, kundalini thing, but either or works. I don't know. It's, 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 it's syncretic either way. <laughs> it's beautiful i love it can't get enough so long. <laughs> all right have a wonderful Peace night man. Love, thank brother. you again yeah take yes. care blessings Bye. hermetic science enterprises is a publishing company based in scotland uk that specializes in western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos with various imprints under its belt its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature alchemical works Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.com co.uk that's hermetic science enterprises.co.uk and as a lot of you know i've uh, talked with the publisher lenny on the podcast before including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the patreon and uh seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of scott's discovery of witchcraft which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.